Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. Oh, Jesus H, it's me, Guy Deloach. Uh, Don, you're the youngest podcaster since uh, Felix Zimmerman. Uh, I gotta, I gotta ask you, man, who... Who's, which podcasters get you turgid? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what raises the pants is um, <laughs> I don't know anything about classic rock, but I saw Almost Famous once, so I think I can write about it. <laughs> Jesus H. Oh, man. What an insane. Oh, coming, in about, coming in about an hour, we're going to be, <laughs> you'll understand where all of that came from. Uh, we're getting crazy yeah, again. Oh, it's goof You yeah. know, Patrick, I was thinking about it. Our first season, the Meryl Streep season, much like Meryl Streep, schedule controlled, mm-hmm. every episode smooth. Yep. Kind of like consistent quality. Second season, much like Al Pacino, <laughs> perhaps more lovable, but kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Little like, yeah, sloppy and fun. Folks. Sloppy and fun. Yeah. <laughs> sloppy and fun. Like a, um, like a fat salad sandwich. For all of you who are on the Probably edge of your damn you. seats. Oh God, we had that for the first, we were, they were already going to digress, but we had that for the first, I had it for the first time the other day. We ordered it. Um, wow. And, and um, boy, yeah, I lived up to the destructive hype. <laughs> Never again. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's a sandwich that hurts you. Like, it's, that, <laughs> it's like, it, it, like, it's so, uh, it's just all fried. And uh, my, my review, go to Ike's. If you're gonna oh, get a Ike's. sandwich, I mean, oh, Ike slap! I love Ike's. I, 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 Ike's is a five fork, you know, to go off of, uh, you know, Doughboy's rating systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ike's hit. I, Ike's hits it all. Oh yeah, I would say. Uh, uh, oh my gosh! Also, I just had to real. I have to make a quick apology. Almost as bad as the uh, Bill, uh, not Bill Collins. My, uh, Bill my Bill Nye. My, my, see, I'm doing it again with Bill Nye. Uh, <laughs> My Bill Nighy fiasco. I called Felix Biederman Felix Zimmerman. Horrible. I, I, th- I thought you were just coming up with a uh, random hot young podcaster character there. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I know you were like, referring to a real person. <laughs> I would love Danny Fog- Dan Fogelman, Danny boy, if you're listening to this, my dude Danny Fogs, if you're listening to this, please do a Danny Collins type movie about a podcaster please. yeah felix zimmerman yes <laughs> he's he's gonna be played by like dustin hoffman getting back into the game <laughs> <laughs> like an 85 year old nearly dying dustin hoffman oh okay we're already getting into it but uh, i was gonna mention um i had just thought of it because um so <sighs> Al Pacino and Barry Levinson went on Bill Simmons' podcast a few years ago to promote Paterno. And I forgot to bring this up okay. on the Paterno episode, but it was in real time, Al Pacino seems to learn what a podcast is. And oh, it's pretty that's... it's pretty spectacular. But I also wanted to mention too that my only recollection of Danny Collins prior to this 24 to 48 hour run of only thinking of Danny Collins was uh, on Bill Simmons podcast. Bill Simmons like Pacino's back. Danny Collins is great. (laughs) 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 I remember saying that like five, six years ago. (laughs) That's all I could think about when we were watching Danny Collins. It's like Bill Simmons like this movie. (laughs) 
it is like a movie where like it's so it's funny. a super one that he'd be into it yeah. is like if you if you know him yeah <laughs> like, I feel like Bill Simmons does he says sometimes he does seem like a very great podcaster a very fun fun guy but also sometimes has the vibe of a uh, someone who's in like a big situation like a 16 year old that got big and like I feel like Danny Collins so much of it is like it feels like it was written by like a 16 year old and this Not, is like his idea of what O'Rourke because it's just like all the swearing is so gratuitous yeah. and unnecessary entire god bless bill simmons but i mean god bless the people of boston because they continue to prove themselves over and over again that you could take someone out of living in the city of boston but all of the boston <laughs> stereotypes will seep out <laughs> at some point or oh another. yeah no no ted ted was a documentary yeah ted, the, doc, <laughs> it's the documentary film ted directed by frederick wiseman yeah Fre- <laughs> frederick wiseman's ted <laughs> for Four hours of not commenting on falling around a sentient teddy bear. <laughs> Just like a really weird scene of Ted at a, like a crew at a uh, doing a Frank Sinatra karaoke night, and it's just a lot of like sound ambient noise in the background. It's like that everyone in the crowd's like, "What is like Seth MacFarlane's deal with the crooners?" I don't understand that. <laughs> why, yeah. why is he like a crooner guy? <laughs> oh man, it's like a supposedly uh, it's like the two crooners. Like, there's a bunch of like people in L.A. that like will go and like you know do all the crooner like the Dean Martin's and Frank Sinatra's, and like the two that kind of have like a rivalry. It's like Seth MacFarlane and Ron Perlman. They're like the two. Jeez. I want to see that duel. I want to see the duel of Ron Perlman. Like Ron Perlman, maybe one of the best. What uh, one of the best posters? Mm, truly great. Yeah, posts. truly, truly a guy who <laughs> the election of Donald Trump changed him irrevocably. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see that post he did like before? Like he became a resistance guy, where uh, he was like, "This Trump guy called me crazy, but he might be the right idea." Like truly classic classic um, it was well, like the so all the it's like all the cuomo sexuals out there he was like a uh, proto he was a proto cuomo sexual for trump insane try, try saying proto cuomo sexual that's like uh <laughs> i love unique you new york right there. <laughs> we, patrick and i did our war- vocal warm-ups every time before we start our podcast we get together for a good half hour of vocal warm-ups and do you know uh, red leather, yellow leather, and now yes. proto <laughs> proto homosexual, proto homosexual. Um, but yeah, so we're doing another like hangout, watch some weird ones episode yeah. because we we had trouble uh, with a little bit of scheduling snafu with our guest for the upcoming uh, Insider Serpico showdown, but it gave us the opportunity here to dive into an episode that Patrick aptly named. That's Al More. When the big beats of five hits the moon like your eye, that's amore. Oh, three films that you may not have seen <laughs> that we watched <laughs> that we have uh, varying degrees of enjoyment on. And I'll just say it right now. I love Al Pacino. And <laughs> like with the more mediocre Al Pacino movies I watch, the more I love them. I don't know why. But he's just an enjoyable presence in my life at this point that I don't really want to leave. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely like a surrogate uh, uncle at this point to me. Like, I would, yeah, just great. Got a great warm vibe. Yeah, it's like, what's he up to? 
what's he up yeah. to in 1991? Oh, well, he's he's a short order cook with a little bit of a spark, um, yeah. you know. But he's just so much fun, and um, we should get to before we get to these three movies, and we'll you've seen them in the title of the episode, so you know what we're talking about. But we'll 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 get to them in just a moment. We got there's some there's been some. Uh, um, I'm going to call this segment Al the News That's Fit to Print. Al the News That's Fit to Print. Uh, late breaking Pacino news. The House of Gucci trailer has been released. Patrick, I watched it for the first time moments before we jumped on it. Really? I've not seen it yet. I'm, I try outside of the Cry Macho trailer, which I had to watch second it came up. <laughs> um, I, I was waiting on it. and This looks like a damn fun movie. I yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. It, it certainly looks like everyone's enjoying their wigs and their costumes. Oh and yeah, their makeups. It, mm-hmm. It's great to see Al in the mix. Love yes. seeing that. Like, and I had this thought with this one, the after I mentioned Cry Macho trailer, and then the trailer to the other Ridley Scott movie, um, The Last Duel, that's mm. also coming up. <laughs> it started with The Last Duel because that one that trailer came out first. I turned to Jen. I'm like, it's nice to see a real movie. Like the look, what a real movie looks like. Yeah. And then with these two, I was like, yeah, you know, this is what this is a real movie. We got stars. We got yes. them doing things together. Like it's shot competently, but with a little bit of flair and style. Um, it doesn't all seem like it's in front of a green screen. Like, ah, a real movie doesn't feel like a video game. No offense to video games, but they're not movies. They're their own thing. Totally. And it like they also seem to have like. Um... Like, I don't know. Uh, they also seem to be films with, like, actual uh, plots, like, with the beginnings, middles, and endings. Like, um, and I'm not against films that don't have that. But uh, the only reason I think about that, like, the, I'm thinking about the structure of a typical film is because I watched uh, two movies in theaters recently. I watched uh, The Green Knight, and then I watched uh, Suicide Squad. And I liked both of those movies uh, to varying degrees. But one thing that weirdly jumped out at me in both of these films is that they both had like just an insane amount of title cards. Like they would do Mm. these things. Like every film was like separated by like into 10 minute, like both films were almost separated into 10 minute chapters. It was almost as if they were going to release both of these films on like fucking Quibi or some shit. (laughs) And it was like episodic elements. And I think we're actually going to talk about that a little bit when we get to Danny Collins versus the first two Mm -hmm. movies we're going to cover today is this modern pack it in total plot nothing mm-hmm. ever ends kind of style yeah well and, and it's also like they didn't trust the actor uh the 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 the, the uh the consumers of the content in the previous two films mm-hmm. to be able to like have the attention span to watch in an hour 45 minute or two hour movie and so they're like we better put title cards in there so they know that like you know they they gotta they gotta have these like indicators that time has passed or something i don't know but it is very weird it, it, it's almost like the same thing in how people can like re-watch seasons of television over and over again mm-hmm. and like 15 20 hours of that shit but then like complain about the irishman being three and a half hours long which is strange odd to me it's very odd you're gonna watch six episodes of friends in a row and not complain about that but you're gonna complain about one story that's told beginning middle and end yeah especially when like tv is becoming increasingly like plot driven and like you know a lot of miniseries and tv shows especially like prestige tv at this point are almost full 
film. Like they're almost like fil- like just like seven hour films. Like it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. But they're, they're so packed in. And I think that was kind of why the first two movies we're going to talk about today. I am. Um, I enjoyed so much. Mm. They were contained these like small scale contained stories, which I really, I'm finding more and more. That's what I'm like gravitating towards in my movie watching is to kind of just like the small kind of slice of life kind of thing. Um, yes. I mean, obviously if you get back to house Gucci, that looks you know completely epic. And I think, um, you know, if it's even half good, I think Ridley Scott's winning best director Ooh, because there, it, there's a, there's going to be a, it's his time. He's 83 and never won type of uh, narrative there so if it's even half good it's going to get a ton of asses in the seats though which is going to help too because i think it's going to be a big hit yeah oh interesting Um, that seems um it's so funny because like on one hand i can see someone arguing that it won't be just because like you know it's not a superhero thing and times have changed so much but then on the other hand there is like i think there is kind of like this weird crossover appeal to it in the sense of like and, it's, and I'm just saying this solely based on aesthetics in the film and the fact that it's dealing with such like, like a uh, soapy material. Mm. Uh, it has like, it, it has some, it shares some genetic code with like a lot of like Ryan Murphy's recent like. Output. Yeah, it, I think that that's true. I think that I, I don't, I don't think Ridley Scott's truly capable of like a, like, like straight up campy kind mm-hmm. of movie. Um, but I think that people are kind of thinking that could be in the mix there. I think that there is going to be, to use a modern internet term, kind of a memeability oh, yeah. of the entire thing. Even if it turns out like it's a very like serious, if kind of so- soapy kind of story, which I have mm-hmm. a feeling is probably the way it's going to go. I don't really, Scott, it does not. He's not meta. He's not um, tongue in cheek. Which I appreciate. That's like I do actually, too. Yeah. He, he doesn't make funny movies and that's, fine like good for him in the intentionally funny movies i mean i think that you know i know it shares the same star but i think um it screams to me like the success level of a star is born oh you know what that's the other thing too that lady gaga factor yeah and she's huge like adam driver seems to be like Mm -hmm. peaking right now as the guy um and then like jared leto doing weird things al pacino doing weird things jeremy irons doing weird things academy academy favorite jeremy irons in the mix yeah and you know it looks it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time i'm i'm actually more confident in that than the other piece of pacino news that's out there which is this paramount plus television series called the offer uh, which is a mini series about the godfather the making of the godfather from it sounds like the point of view of the one non-Italian guy involved in it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like Some it's the, Al, Al Ruddy, the producer. Albert uh-huh. Ruddy is the is the and played by Miles Teller um, is the lead. Uh, Al Pacino though has been cast at, by an uh, actor by the name of Anthony Ippolito. Did I say that right? Yes, I, I'm not I think good at you this. It's okay. Uh, it's right. He's he's in Pixels. I'm looking at his IMDb right now. Um, yeah, I mean Pixels. Yeah, it looks like he's done a little bit of uh, TV work, but new to me at the very new least. To me too. He, you know, looking at him, he looks he looks he looks Al. He looks like a young Al. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know why they couldn't get the guy who played uh, young Danny Collins. Oh, whoever that was. <laughs> yeah, that young Danny Collins. I here's my uh... um, Lou Ferrigno's playing Lenny Montana. That's insane. That's fun. I love uh, that. That's Jake Cannavale is in it. Who's um, Bobby Cannavale's son. Oh, yeah. Of, who we're uh... going to be talking about in uh, just a few here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? I, 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 I'm curious, but at the same time, I don't know what kind of stories here. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> like, I want it to be good. I like, you know, period pieces about this time. I feel like Hollywood has become increasingly nailed Bulgazi over time. Yeah, and this... I think, too, the further we get from the 70s and mm. kind of the how everyone from, you know, the Tarantinos or the Paul Thomas Andersons of the world to young people worship and kind of think of the 70s in this very, like, including myself, I'm guilty, we all know that, mm. of being like this, like, truly golden time in which the wave broke and artists could be artists and sad movies could happen and weird movies could happen and all this kind of stuff so i think we're going to see more and more of um like a golden nostalgia type idea of that era because that era to all of us who didn't get a chance to live it seems like man so wild like movies like Fat City or Five Easy Pieces or California Split or, you know, name them. Yeah. Could come out. I mean, shit, we're going to see The Landlord and last uh, the last detail this week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Be I mean, we're, and we're stoked. <laughs> like, yeah, we're hyped. We're on the train. And it's we'll be like, at the New uh, Beverly. If you're there, who knows? Well, maybe we'll see you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a t- taxi driver tonight. So if you have a time machine and are listening to yeah. this podcast now. Or- Time machine, I'll be at Clute on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> the day before this episode comes out. Uh, uh, and but, uh, also, the, the planes will be at 9-11. So if you have a time machine, please. <laughs> please go. <laughs> please do something about that. Please, sir. <laughs> if you have a time machine, or lady, it could be anyone. If you have a time machine, please go back and stop that. <laughs> oh, my God. How do we transition out of that? I liked it, though. I, I did like it. I do like it. Um Speaking, though, of that uh, era, Patrick, I have a uh, trademark Academy Academy swerve that you don't even know about. Oh, no. Give it to I me, wa- sir. I watched a fourth movie what this morning. Yeah, I know. What the fuck? <laughs> I, from 1969, I watched Me, comma, Natalie. What? Why did I watch Me, Natalie? Because it's Al Pacino's feature film debut. He's Whoa. in one... He's in one scene. He's barely credited. And, <laughs> and it's, it's in the first 15 minutes of the movie. The movie's two hours long. I watched all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, Don, was it, uh, was it worth it? it? Is, so it is a coming-of-age movie about a young woman played by Patty Duke, who is a... Um, thank God this... <laughs> thank God this genre seems to have been slowing down. The... Um, the homely girl will she ever find love genre Oof. of movie. Uh, she's from Brooklyn. She's a neighborhood girl. Uh, her nose is a little big and she has buck teeth. So thus she's a total uggo in this universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other, other than the fact that she's like a TV star at the same time in real life, but all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's kind of groovy because it does give you fun, like 1969 New York footage. They shot, mm-hmm. shot it there, which is really fun. Um, 
they go to clubs. Uh, I really, really love like older filmmakers in Hollywood trying to catch on to the youth movement around 1969 movies, but it seems kind of fake and phony. So whenever they go to like a hippie club or something like that, it's just like, uh, you've never, this doesn't feel realistic at all. <laughs> I love it. But um, yeah. toward the top, she goes to a like high school dance and um, none other than Al Pacino is circulating through the crowd and he grabs her to dance with her. He comes on to her strong. He asks her if she puts out. She says no. And he goes, then what am I doing this for? And he walks away and grabs another girl. And that's the end of Al Pacino for this movie. <laughs> uh, so, uh, obviously, Panic in Needle Park is kind of his like grand introduction to mm-hmm. cinema. But he is briefly in this very strange coming-of-age movie that... Um, I will I will definitely put in the Don's Curios <laughs> column here because this is a weird movie. Uh, doesn't know if it's a drama or if it's comedy. The jokes don't land. Oh, wow. um, there's weird, serious stuff happens. Um, but at the end, there's a twist that I actually like yelled no <laughs> while watching. So I was invested. We'll put it that way. Um, Martin Balsam's also in it. Oh, I love that. Who's, who's always fun. And um, but yeah, I checked it out this morning. It definitely has no reason to be part of this tournament, but the <laughs> completest in me was very curious. And uh, now I own it on Blu-ray. So if you ever want to borrow it, anyone, you know, I, I have it. <laughs> yes. We're, um, we're announcing it now, folks. Don is opening up a rival uh, video rental store against uh, the Pasadena Cinematheque. Watch yeah. out, buddies. They're better than me. In every aspect. <laughs> yeah, Don, Don selects. Yeah. Oh, I also want to mention too, Bob Balaban is in this movie, Me Natalie. Oh. And I don't know about you, Patrick, but if you notice, it just seems like Bob Balaban is in every movie. That yeah. he just keeps showing up in things that we do and see. <laughs> like, yeah, he is kind of like this weird specter. He's like that. Do you ever watch uh, the the um? This is a not an obscure reference. I think you'll know. You know Stella, right? Like the Michael Showalter, David yeah, Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. You know how they had like that one guy who was like in every episode and then they announced that like uh, at the end of like the end of the final season, that guy is like, uh, I forget if he's like a millionaire or like someone who like he awards the Stella boys with something. Something happens in the end where like this, this one guy who is like in every episode of Stella comes out and it turns out he's been watching the three Stella boys and he, he gives them like an award or something. Well, so I'm good. hoping, I'm hoping Bob Babylon just like <laughs> at the very Babylon, end of our does Bob that. Babylon. Like he's been in every one of our movies. He's been referenced in every podcast and he it all up, pays off. He showed up in uh, girlfriends just the other night. That was the last time I think we ran into him when we saw girlfriends yeah. at the, the new Beverly. Um, but yeah, we're going to dive into the movies for today. Those that's kind of the, uh, the updates in the world yeah. of Al Pacino, but you know, the we're going to go the updates. Oh, good one. Mm. Good one. I like that, man. That's, that's a, that's a Patrick special. Um, mm-hmm. So we're cutting back though, going back in time to 1989. Al Pacino has been off screen for four years. I'm going to run down what Al Pacino did in the 1980s prior to this 1980 cruising 1982 author author 1983 scarface 1985 revolution those are the four films he had made in the 1980s prior to 1989 um all of them gaining a reputation both of 
being financial flops, yes, including Scarface, and um, Al getting a bit of a reputation as someone who got into it with directors. Wow. On these, in particular, uh, from what I understand, on author, author, his behavior really, um, I don't know, kind of got, got, got there. And he just felt really, really burnt out. And so he disappeared to the stage for four years. This is around the time where he was doing American Buffalo in London. He was, um, he did a, a, interestingly enough, I did not know about this, but he did a stage bound version of Richard III, which probably uh, was the inception piece for what led to looking for Richard later on, mm-hmm. I would guess. Um, and he of course workshopped the local stigmatic during this time period. Um, but after these four years were over, Al Pacino found himself broke, Oof. basically. <laughs> and he needed to get back in the game. He needed to find something. So he turned to uh, his old friend, former business manager, producer, Martin Brigman. And he's like, Marty, what do we got? Let's start dabbling around looking for things. And they came across this screenplay by the great uh, Richard, uh, Richard Price. Yeah, Clockers. The great. Yeah, among, yeah. Uh, may, I mean, one of one of the great writers. Yeah, I believe he like wrote for The Wire too. Just a wrote great for the, yeah. Writer. yeah, yeah. He's in the he's written a bunch for David Simon. He did uh, The Night of. He did The Outsider, the Stephen King show that was just on. Um, oh, The wrote, Outsider was so good. I oh, liked man. it too. Color yeah. of Money, the Scorsese movie, and just a ton of stuff. He's good. He's just yeah. real good. And he had written the script that basically that he described as like the saddest sack alive about this guy and they from what i read interestingly enough is that they they just didn't think it was very commercial so they kind of slammed in some more of the erotic thriller neo-noir elements to make it a little bit more commercial and what came out of it is a script and film called sea of love came out in 1989 and this is al pacino's big comeback vehicle and if you do the math properly in 1989 al pacino was 49 years old um directed by harold becker who went on to direct um city hall later on with al pacino which Mm. i we have not discussed covering yet but the way things are going hey folks anything's on the table when it comes to pacino uh produced by martin bregman and louis a stroll stroller stroller interestingly enough um the film co-stars alan barkin john goodman michael rooker william hickey richard jenkins john spencer michael o'neill and in a very very minor role but a fun but a fun minor role samuel jackson shows up very early sam uh budgeted at 19 million dollars this made 110.9 million at the box office debuting at number one this was a hit this was a hit movie. Wow. Um, Al was back, basically, as a 76% uh, Rotten Tomato rating. And um, I just read this on Wikipedia. I thought this is interesting. A sequence in Sea of Love, doesn't say which one, was selected in a scientific study as one of two sequences that were most able to produce surprise in viewers. I'm curious what sequence that was. That was so yeah. damn surprising. Yeah, it seemed pretty, uh, I mean, I guess like, um, you know, maybe the viewers didn't have uh, our um, intimate uh, 
a knowledge of Michael Rooker as an actor that yeah I, that I think that <laughs> that see okay um, folks first things first we're gonna spoil all three of these movies because I think we have to spoil all three of these movies today oh yeah spoilies sorry um, sometimes we can get away with maybe not revealing endings but it's kind of important with all three of these for the overall discussion I think but yeah so there's an early scene where Al's invest oh well, okay start things off men in new york city are being found dead naked in bed being shot in the back of the head it appears weirdly sexual al pacino is a burnt out alcoholic new york detective and would he be anything else (laughs) by the the name of frank keller his wife has left him and married his fucking partner who's played by richard jenkins what a twist in like in any other universe, it's the other way around. Yeah, you're not going. Yeah, Jenkins is the cuck, but he's doing the cucking. It's <laughs> so funny he's getting cucked by Jenkins, who is mm-hmm. just, oh man, what a it's, great. It's such a strange and kind of fun quirk in a movie, frankly, kind of full of them. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so Al's on the case. What he discovers is that it sure seems like it may have been a woman who's doing these murders and he discovers that each of the murdered have put a wanted ad in the newspaper looking for love in a poetic fashion simultaneously over in queens the same thing happens and detective sherman tui a great name uh played by john goodman is on the case and sherman and frank team up to discover who is doing all of these killings, but also, you know, Frank's personal life is really raging in the moment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as but to go back to Michael Rooker, they're doing the investigation and they find out one of the witnesses was, um, what, what is Michael Rooker's job? Was he like, a, he wasn't EMT. He was, he was a like cable a, guy. I think. He's like a cable guy or something, but yeah. they go to interview him. And he's like doing the law and order. I don't know. I was just doing my job kind of bit. Oh, man. Um, we all know having a history of 30 years yeah. of great Michael Rooker performances <laughs> like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Yeah, yeah. You, don't, you don't hire right Michael Rooker to play the, the, the goody two-shoes father. Or the, yeah, the, I just want my kids back, got a guy. <laughs> yeah, I just want my, yeah, yeah, Michael Rooker didn't star in black and white. Yeah, I know. Michael Rooker <laughs> is not paying it forward. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. Oh, my Lord, yeah. But and so, then, oh, also the joke, what was it like, uh, the whole like uh this guy like talks to my i was this he's telling like a joke about like a guy who's thinking about the most like uh exotic place he's ever made love and then he's like in the butt and like everyone it's such a like uh that and he also does a racist thing oh yeah so he's, he's already like he's a bad man <laughs> red flag city and yeah. even though we you know we're very early on in the movie and we haven't yeah. met the big issue is about halfway through goodman and pacino come up with this pretty wild sting operation <laughs> all the sting uh, operations are insane the, yeah the, we, we have to really quickly talk about the new york yankees sting that introduces al pacino into this movie um <laughs> so they this but it was a red flag immediately to me because i was like i don't think george steinbrenner is sending the yankees to this like fucking elks hall <laughs> you know yeah, that's so it's this Yankees, this breakfast with the Yankees charity breakfast and all of these like weird, like central casting New York guys are yeah. all showing up for this thing. Pacino 
is dressed in like Yankees garb and he claims to be full Rizzuto. <laughs> Which everyone immediately buys. They buy and they love it. Yeah, and then like, they so find enamored. out but basically what they find out is that the New York Police Department has just invited all of these dudes with outstanding warrants to this breakfast to get them all in the same spot to arrest them all. And it's awesome. It's just insane. It's like, it's like this is how policing you can do the rules. It does rule. It's totally yeah. insane. Well, like, yeah, it's crazy. And we're going to get to the definitive rankings of Pacino's skill as a police officer among his many characters in a little bit here. Yeah. But um. So the sting operation Goodman and Pacino come up with is that they're going to place their own poetic, romantic want ad mm-hmm. in the newspaper, and they're going to hope to lure in the killer via a smoking hot date with a printer played by Al Pacino. Yeah, oh, everybody wants this printer. They're gonna, they're gonna go and uh, like he owns a print shop. He owns like a Kinko's. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> insane and like they, and it's also like they're at this restaurant so they're at this nice busy restaurant and guess who the waiter is it's john goodman <laughs> and also at one point paul calderon who's another police officer he's in the kitchen and it's like i start coming like, taking over the entire operation is this at this restaurant, restaurant? <laughs> are they like actually i want to see the movie where it's john goodman and paul calderon having to like run this perfect restaurant and all of the people eating at the restaurant are other cops who are judging them for this stupid sting operation. So basically, they have like fingerprints on these cigarettes mm-hmm. that they found. So they're like, if we can get the perpetrator to take a glass, take a sip of wine or something like that, and then take the wine glass, dust that for prints and compare them with the ones they have from the murder scene, then they'll get the murder. It's complicated. But it does make sense. Like you can see the logic in the move. It's just crazy. Um, one of the women, though, who shows up for one of these dates is the very intriguing to Frank Keller, um, Helen Kruger, played by Ellen Barkin. And she tells him he's not animalistic enough, which gets his, gets his speaking of movement to the pants um, he gets he's very interested in that and he he begins a illicit affair with helen who it's alluded to throughout the film might also be let's call her madam x the um the hmm. wanted ad murderer um but she's got a past of her own she has a child she has an ex-husband who she's very elusive about who seems like a bad guy hmm. and um but her and pacino uh embark on some some kind of ludicrous over-the-top sex scenes and they kind of fall in love but Pacino's crazy he's he's very like hot and cold he's he's just wild they go to this nice restaurant at one point he's not getting service he likes and he flips out about it um his his police work and his work as a romantic partner leaves something to be He's not the best. Um, not, he's no. Yeah. He's not Vincent Hanna in this one. We'll put it that way. No. Um, but you know, it, it keeps you on the edge, and it's like it's a very interesting movie. And I, reading up a little bit about it, how Richard uh, Price's idea was more of this like sad sack having a midlife crisis movie, and then Universal and Bregman kind of putting these like erotic thriller neo noir elements into it. The more I kind of realized that they're bumping up against each other 
mm. a little bit in kind of the tone of the movie. And I think that's what made the movie the first time I watched it kind of feel um, kind of funky and weird. Yeah. Um, and now that I think back about it, it's like you try and, and I also read an interview with Harold Becker, who said he saw it as a broken romance movie about just two broken people who are lonely and searching mm. for love. Our next movie also. Um, yeah. But, and I see that. I totally see that. It does feel like, I think that going into this based on the poster and the trailer, um, I thought we were going to get a Michael Douglas styled erotic mm. CD thriller. And I oh, think yeah. there's a lot more going on in this. Didn't, no diss to those Michael Douglas ones, though. Those are fun movies, but, and I think there is stuff going on in those movies too. But, um, you know, and this does harken back, though, to this idea that Frank Keller's midlife crisis might be the similar one that Al Pacino, the actor, is having after four years on the shelf. He shows up again. He's remar- he's he's aged, too. Mm. Like when he left in the early 80s, he was still kind of like a youngish hotshot. You know, he's like yeah. early 40s and now he's late 40s and he looks it. And, and he it, looks tired and he looks old and it's a different, and he's kind of bigger too. He's got a little bit more weight on him. Yeah. It's definitely a, uh, and it's funny too. Cause like to have those four movies that, that was such, I didn't realize until you kind of like laid it out for me, just how, how fallow of a period the eighties was for Al Pacino. Yeah. And you know, yeah. And we forget like, yeah, Scarface universally loved, almost universally loved now, but back then, like, you said on the previous podcast it was nominated for a Razzie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, it, and it, I mean, obviously, you know, Scarface, we like, we've, we like it. We've made that clear. It's yeah. an aggressive, but it is an aggressive movie that definitely some people are going to really viscerally not like. Well, yeah. Well, and I think too that it's, um, it just wasn't appreciated back then. I think it was one of those things where it did take, like, you know, maybe like a decade for like the critics to catch up with the, uh, with the, uh, the content. But, uh, and I think too, like Brian De Palma's skill set, the surfacey kind of sleaziness of a lot of his films mm-hmm. make you not realize the absolute mastery of craft that is actually happening in those films. And yeah. it takes kind of repeated watch from freaky fans to be like, no, do you see what he's doing here? This guy, like, is one of the greatest filmmakers alive. Also, <laughs> you know? Oh, totally. I also have like a theory that like his films are less character based and more. And even when he uh, tackles characters, he tackles characters almost from like a technical perspective mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, this needs to fit here. This needs to like, yeah, he's like crafting these like perfect films. And uh, well, he's not John Cassavetes. He's not looking for like the internal emotional state of humanity oh, or oh, anything like that totally but i think that's kind of why uh critics maybe uh initially didn't understand i feel like a lot of film critics they 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 glom on to the cassavetti which i love too i love the cassavetti i like Ready i love those movies yeah i i think though that people think that that equals like authenticity mm-hmm. and good filmmaking because mm-hmm. it's truthful that you're being gritty and real like i mean look at the reaction like nomadland Yes. Because it's like so grounded, it's so real, and then, you know, movies like the you know, the De Palma movies or whatever that are just so stylized and so kind of um, so clearly movies, mm-hmm. 
in a way. And I think that I think it's very fun though when it's like, no, this is a movie. This is exactly what it is. It doesn't live yeah. in any other zone than like Kubrick's movies are like that too, where it's like, this can only be a movie. There's no other like this can't be like a novel or a narrative podcast or anything like that. You need to see but Brian De Palma's moves for yeah. it to be a move. And that's what makes him like such a pure filmmaker is that he's all that's all he's looking for is that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like this, like, yeah, I think it is like a mistake to it's a mistake to uh, associate authenticity with uh, purely with the uh, great film it's not like a one-in-one thing and you can have a great film that is uh uh like uh, uh, that feels like a film that is like even in some ways almost artificial i don't think uh because like like everything scorsese does everything feels that way it doesn't matter though because it's 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 so like it takes you away you know, and I think that there are elements actually to get back to see a love that feel that way, even though I don't I like I, I like Becker's work in this. I think we've talked a little bit about like, you know, what if Michael Mann had made this movie or what if, you know, the couple that came to my mind, obviously Brian De Palma, but um, Abel Ferrara, I think, would have made a real wild version oh of this my movie. God, yes. Oh, man, this has because uh, like this movie does have a little bit of like that uh king of new york uh well, it's lieutenant like, edge to it yeah even. a little <clears throat> a little bit of that well it's also like what's interesting about this movie oh the frank's too broken to be as uh, active as harvey Keitel. yeah and bad lieutenant but well uh, it's uh but like the the way that new york is portrayed in this compared to uh frank and johnny is so interesting it's so much more brutal well it's like i think like frank and frank and frankie and johnny like i have like a a theory that like people fucking must have hated Ed Koch in the moment. I I could be wrong, but like it's like there's like this like I think there's like this like there was like there's like a a positivity. There's an optimism in Frankie and Johnny, uh, even though it's kind of like the similar settings that is not existent mm-hmm. in Sea of Love. Uh, it's it's very much a like New York is a scum hell like everything's bad you see like a you see a a, a pornographic theater in the beginning intro credits just to let you know hey this is bad New York it's very yeah. much like yeah Frank it's kind of like how people say uh, Metropolis is uh, New York City during the day and Gotham is New York City during the night and that's like Frankie and Johnny and uh, Sea of Love I, I think uh, Frank and Sherman had stopped in and maybe done their sting at Hector Elizondo's um, Greek diner. You know, so different been, things could. Different oh, things it would have been could, a much happier, much movie. lighter rom. <laughs> the oh only problem, the only problem they would have had was a malfunctioning pie display case. <laughs> 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 Might be my favorite moment of the week. <laughs> uh, the pie. Oh God, what a great, what a great. What, why isn't that actor? Uh, we'll get, we'll get to we'll, it. Folks. We'll talk we'll about, it. we'll talk about the great Netta in just a moment. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, I think like this does feel like the like not only is Al Pacino back, but this also feels like the very last of the taxi driver maniac, maniac yeah. cop, vigilante, like oh my god, nasty, shitty, gross New York. You're gonna get the deuce, kind of like you're gonna get stabbed mm-hmm. on any street corner level of New York. Like we, even when those like Gordon Gecko wannabes come in and spit in the shoe shop in this one, insane. Oh god, what a what you a, a cop! You got a cop's face. Um, but yeah, so basically they, we don't know if like we don't really know where 
they're very elusive with Helen. If she's she is the killer, if she's just this lady who's just genuinely lonely and looking for love, Frank is way too gone mentally, and <laughs> his alcoholism is through the roof, and he's a mess. And John Goodman is more than an enabler of all of the messy. Oh, totally. Um, <laughs> uh, the Goodman's great in this one. Oh, he's so good. Say, he's really, really good in this movie. Actually, one of the one thing I do love about his performance is there's like one line, maybe like his first or second line. You see him like kind of trying to do a New York accent, like almost as if he's like trying on a shoe, and he and he's immediately realizing the shoe doesn't fit, and he just immediately fucking drops it. There's like one line where it has like a Brooklyn twang, and you can mm-hmm. just like. You just it's like this moment where it's like, oh, are we gonna see Brooklyn Goodman? And he just it, no. it, he dry, he just becomes good John Goodman, which I love. Like, yeah, like that's that's what no I want. Need, yeah, and he's he's just terrific. He and Al just have like a blast playing off of each other. You can tell they're just mm-hmm. having a good great time throughout. Oh, yeah. it. They 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 come off as almost immediate drinking buddies and friends. Mm-hmm. Um there is a part though. So we've set up all of this kind of like the the guy comes in and shoots them in bed and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. three-fourths of the way through the movie maybe 80 percent of the way through the movie they get drunk goodman can't drive home so we go and al pacino goes hey you can go stay at my place tosses goodman the keys folks movie 101 and we know we love him they should goodman should have been killed yeah. he should have gone back up to his apartment and found goodman dead that's like noir 101 that the killer thought they were getting al pacino because it was him in bed but he kind of kills goodman instead and it gets deeper for Al Pacino's character. But somehow Goodman makes it through and, you know, ends up cheating on his wife, which is yeah. even weirder. <laughs> it frankly. is very odd. Yeah. It is like, um, there are some just odd choices. It's like that funk. It's like, yeah, there's like a, there's a weird strain of umami going through this film mm-hmm. that I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it necessarily fits with the pie this film is, you know? Yeah. And so basically, what it all comes down <laughs> to is that Al freaks out on helen they end up kind of splitting up she's just like man you're not worth it and she's probably right uh because what we find out is of course the killer is her ex-husband who's played by michael, michael rooker, rooker. <laughs> we knew it was, we knew it was bad news all along <laughs> yep check out michael rooker to, tries to get out they have a very like bloody fierce fight which is pretty good Oh, I yeah. enjoyed their fight quite a bit, but then Al throws him out the window of the apartment. And, okay, two, and that's that. <laughs> two things I gotta say about the fight. Number one, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite moves. Uh, I might have to make an award category for our uh, uh, Academy Academy Academies uh, uh, for best punch because he punches Michael Rooker straight in the nuts. <laughs> It is one of the funniest. It just—it is a cut. It's a cut to Michael Rooker's crotch, and then a fist just jams itself. And <laughs> like the entire want- movie is further proof that Al Pacino does not need to play. He's not Stallone. No, he's not Arnold. He's not Clint Eastwood. He's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's always a guy who's just trying to get by. Yeah, the and then he- the second—the uh, second point I got to make. I on no planet. Do I believe Al Pacino has the strength to thrust Michael Rooker through a goddamn window? That was that was all like six stories to his death. <laughs> Unless like maybe that window, you know, I, I mean, I guess to be fair, I haven't like thrown a lot of people through windows. So maybe windows. You are far... Yeah, I do it. It's great. I do. Uh, OK, OK. Yeah. I'll meet... I know you have that. Uh, you're part of that Facebook group of. 
people that throw windows. Yeah. Throw people through windows. Yeah. The, uh, the Los Angeles chapter. Oh, yeah. The Los Angeles. Yeah. You guys east, wear little east side, actually. There's a west side chapter. <laughs> oh, we're west. fierce enemies. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm looking at this Facebook group. There's over 7,000 members. <laughs> we're, we're looking to throw anybody from the west side of Los Angeles out a fucking window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but uh, I bet Andy Dick's been thrown out of a window. Uh, oh, one hundred percent. He's like a he's like a charter member of the group, but then he was he was of course canceled, so we got rid of him. <laughs> yeah, we got rid of him. Yeah, he was the he was yeah the only member that has been thrown and been thrown. Yeah, uh, 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 but, both uh, for fun and for not so fun reasons. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Oh, that fool. Um, but uh, no, it's a yeah. What do you think of the ending? What do you think of uh, Al Pacino? Well, I think that's this is kind of where the is this a erotic thriller or neo-noir or is this a movie about a guy in a midlife crisis trying to get his life on track mm-hmm. and a movie comes into play so yeah movie ends he has uh he meets up with john goodman at their favorite bar but guess what al pacino drinks club soda now he's uh Ooh. he's not drinking and then he goes to the shoe store the uh titular <laughs> shoe store <laughs> is this the shoe? oh man okay Another tie-in. This could be the shoe store from Serpico, and that she's inherited from her like father. Oh, yeah. Maybe she married. She maybe uh, Terry Kruger, played by Michael Rooker, is like a black sheep Serpico. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Frank Serpico would not. I think he'd question Detective Frank Keller's police work. Although, yeah, you know, maybe all he would suggest is for the dates. A better disguise. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Perhaps uh, you know, dressing like a rabbi. Yeah, where's your hat? Where's yeah, your where, hat? Where's your hat? Where's your mouse? You need more yeah. mice. <laughs> more, more pets. More um, pets. You need a boat. Yeah. Instructor. So then he goes to visit her, and he um, <laughs> the takes a second. She forgives him, and they kind of walk off into the streets of New York together to grab a cup of coffee. Two broken people who may have found love in the sea of love. That is the naked city, New mm. York. Ooh, New York. Ooh. Maybe a third, maybe the third lead of this movie after Ellen Barkin and Al Pacino, the city of New York. Um, it's a great New York movie, actually. I think both this and Frankie and Johnny give us some great New York stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the movie, the movie's very entertaining. It's mm-hmm. like an enjoyable time, like 114 minutes cruises by. You're very engaged. You don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um the erotic stuff is uncomfortable, but you know, I'm glad it exists. <laughs> I wish, yeah. I wish them, I wish, I wish a scene where a female lead humps a male leads back <laughs> happened in like a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want, uh, yeah, you want uh, Ant Man to to just be hump dry humping. Al Pacino very clear. Al Pacino very clearly does not want to take his shirt off on screen because yeah. he's gained a little bit of weight. He is uh, not comfortable with his body in this not, film. He's not comfortable with his body with it, but he's with an actress who they're whether it was her choice or not, probably not due to it being 1989, they're making her very comfortable with her body. Yeah. Um, it is like, there's so many, like, I feel like I can't think of a major like a list, like actor who has been played the small spoon in more in these in, than, than Al Pacino. I feel like he gets like a, he is constantly the smaller spoon in well, a lot of scenes. One thing we were talking about when we get there's a when we let's jump right to this real quick so I can tell the story. At the end of Danny Collins, there's a part where Bobby Cannavale is sitting next to Al Pacino and they have their arms around each other. And Jen walked in. <laughs> she goes, "I'm supposed to believe that huge oaf is Al Pacino's son." <laughs> yes. 
This, yeah, this Italian this giant track. boy. Yeah. <laughs> this tiny man's boy. Yeah, this is like, yeah. This fucking. <laughs> He's so big compared to Alpha Oh, it's insane. <laughs> uh, I mean, God bless them. They're both good. But yeah. yeah, it's like, man, he's they outside of maybe their faces. Mm-hmm. There's no similarities between the two of them. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like uh, it is just like, yeah, it's like their faces and the amount of tanner they use. That's kind of literally all they have in common. Yeah. But the thing about, yeah, I think the thing about Frank Keller is that he a long line of Al Pacino sad sacks guys trying to get by guys you know and there is a feeling too that like Frank Keller you know probably joined the same force similar time period as Serpico and um but Frank's kind of like started off idealistic and just kind of let the drank himself into the sad sack pity state he's in and you know I think it, it's interesting. We talked about Dick Tracy being the beginning of Hua Pacino, but I think this is certainly the beginning of the second wave of Al Pacino's career. This yeah. part, and you know, I think he's still very engaged. I think it's his good performance, but I think he's definitely like beginning to tiptoe into kind of the experienced realm that air that realm that Karina talked about before, where he where an actor kind of starts to figure out the moves that work. And you can see this movie was a gigantic hit, both critically and financially. So why wouldn't he kind of say, okay, this is what P-, and he's like a lot of actors, like the pain of a lot of flops when he's taken big swings earlier in the eighties, he's looking for a safe place where he feels loved perhaps. And so these bigger performances the kind of burnout cops the burnouts in general who are finding light rather than his earlier characters i guess you could say start off light and lose it yeah his later characters start off dark and are looking for redemption in a way wow that's a really good point Uh, and yeah yeah, i I think that's the difference between the 70s and the 90s era al pacino obviously post 90s it's pretty wild west mm-hmm. in terms of themes <laughs> um yeah. outside of the fact that i stand by uh will dormer and in insomnia is vincent Hanna. later yeah. on in life i think that that i think that that's a pretty that's where vincent Hanna was gonna end up but i man folks i recommend see love as mm-hmm. we move on from see love here i think it's really good i don't think it's like Al Pacino's like it's not the Godfather it's not it's not even heat but um it's an enjoyable romp if you like this kind of movie this like wonderful like time period the late 80s early 90s adult movie you could do worse this is fun yeah totally and it's like uh so many good like we haven't even talked about like William Hickey has a really great uh weird uh like scene Al Pacino's dead Oh, it's so yes, and it's like oh yeah, that scene where they they have to write a poem yes for their ruse, and it's Pacino, it's Goodman, it's um Paul Calderon's there, I think. Yeah, Paul Calderon is um, there, yeah. and William Hickey's there, and they have these drunk. Uh, somebody, Karina Longworth noted in her book that the cops in this movie seem particularly party hardy, that they are particular <laughs> yeah. drunks in this movie, and yeah, they're all drinking like fish in this movie. Oh no, and. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a terrific scene. There's a real sadness to it. I love William Hickey. 
it's oh, it's so good, good stuff. It's very funny too because he he feels so out of place in that room because like you don't see him initially. Mm-hmm. It's just all these cops who's drinking this, and who's this old man? Yeah, who's sitting in the chair? Like you half expect like a lightning strike and like some organ music to play or something. It's very he's he feels, but then he like says this like, and then we don't even talk about how like the poem they use because like they have to put in an ad with a poem to find the killer, and the poem they use is a poem written by Al Pacino's dead mother. Very and, weird, and the fact that the complete outside of helen like lack of women in any of these men's lives they're like live in this particularly masculine world that's particularly like particularly sad and depressing oh yeah all their like al pacino's apartment sucks and it's just um and you know goodman lives with queens with his wife he's the only one who's married and he cheats on his wife well and it's like like a wife you never see. It's Schrodinger's wife. Like, we don't know if it exists or not. And also, like, Al Pacino drunk dials his ex-wife, who's now with Richard Jenkins, and he's, like, a 50-year-old man doing that. It's, um... Mm. I can see where Richard Price was coming from. <laughs> this is a bleak... Bleak gang in this mm-hmm. movie. But then, I mean, I also see where it's like, oh, you know, get asses in seats by throwing in this heavy-duty murder mystery element and some nudity. So, you know... Yeah. It is what it is, but it's, it's a good movie. It's a cool movie. I would watch it again. And, um, you know, I, 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 yeah, I enjoyed it. It's just another side, another fun side to the Al Pacino police officer character. And we're going to move on to our next movie in just a moment. But let's rank them um, competent to least competent police mm-hmm. officer that we have yeah. seen thus far. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to start with my number one. I believe Vincent Hanna is the most competent police officer that he played mm-hmm. from the I, film heat. Yeah. Uh, I, Hmm. We're just talking competent. Cause like Serpico, I think he's competent, but he still is. Well, here's little... my, my theory on Serpico is that he never gets a chance to prove himself in the big cases yeah. in the same way that Vincent or even Will Dormer in insomnia does. That is true. That is true. I think I'm. I think I agree with you. I'm gonna go with uh, just because he never gets unless yeah. Because I'm just looking. I'm just looking through the catalog. I think you're right. I think you're right. Even though like, uh, on paper, Al Pacino's character could seem like a little bit of a uh, problem just because of the coke problem and all these other things. Like even if his 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 even if his normal life is in shambles, even though his home life is 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 ruinous. His, his police work and his competency is He's, unparalleled. His competency at get, at stopping guys from taking down scores yes. is unparalleled. He's the <laughs> so, number one score stopper. Yeah, he's a score stopper, but, you know, he's up against the number one score getter. So Yeah, oh, man. Also, the best, uh, just uh, in addition to best, uh, in addition to best, uh, most competent comp, best squad of guys, like Wes Studi. Oh, yeah, his, that, that helps. Serpico had no friends. No. And uh, Vincent Hanna's got a great team of friends. Oh, just so, some cool, just some some very cool like, guys. Like, cool yeah, guys. Cool guys. Yeah. Some cool West dudes. Studi, Ted with, Levine. Cool guys. Cool, yeah. Cool guys like Ted Levine. <laughs> yeah. uh, that one dude who's like a karate guy. Who's the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but they're, uh, fucking Bubba Gump. <laughs> oh, yeah! Bubba Gump is there! Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, what a good... Yeah, uh, oh, what a great movie. We're seeing it. We'll be at the New Beverly at the end of the month for Heat. Oh, yeah. 
as a gang. We're going to, and we're going to have some former Academy Academy guests are going to be joining us for the screen. It's going to be a real party. Uh, because it's a great ass. <laughs> it's a great ass. Uh, oh, but yeah, I got, I would put either Will Dorm or Serpico at the two spot. Mm-hmm. And then I would put Frank Keller. And then I got to put Steve Burns from cruising in the final spot. Yeah. <laughs> who's not a particularly strong police officer. Not the best cop. <laughs> also, maybe he's not a strong dancer either. No, uh, but speaking of dancing. And playing yes. sports, our next film, 1991's Frankie and Johnny. We get to see Al do both. Uh, Frankie and Johnny, 1991 film, directed by, in his first Academy Academy appearance, Gary Marshall. Um, written by Terrence McNally, based upon his own off-Broadway play, Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune. Uh, cinematography by Dante Spinotti, who was the cinematographer on Heat. Um, oh. And he's Michael Manns. One of his main guys, uh, co-starring Michelle Pfeiffer uh, of Scarface, of course, uh, Hector Elizondo, Nathan Lane is what we deemed a gay best friend trademark. Yeah, <laughs> next to it. Yeah, this is like the the copyright. Like this is the origin. The origin this- story of the. Um, you know, we've seen it with you know, the, the best friend character to the female lead and so many romantic comedies who has no life of their own other than to be supportive of the drama that is oh, yeah. happening to uh, the female lead character. <laughs> I imagine uh, like Kronos and Zeus, uh, Stanley Tucci's character in uh, The Devil Wears Prada popped out of Nathan Lane's head. It, there's a photograph of Nathan <laughs> Lane's character. Um at his desk, a little Easter egg in Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. Lane's character Tim. He has a name. Oh yeah. He he's got some pretty funny. Um, that that phone bit he does is pretty funny. Yeah, he's like Later a fun character. He's fun. Yeah. Uh, they're all. But uh, Kate Nelligan is also in the film. Uh, and a you know it's it's a really fun group of people. Yeah. Uh, like so basically, um. In your listeners, you're already going to be a little like, taken aback in this initial sentence when I say Michelle Pfeiffer plays drab waitress Frankie. Michelle Pfeiffer on her worst day is incapable of playing drab. Yeah. Um, like they they do their best. You know, Jen brought it up too. She had heard this story that the original play was um, F. Marie Abraham and Kathy Bates played wow. Frankie and Johnny on stage, and apparently it was pretty controversial that. Michelle Pfeiffer was replacing Kathy Bates because the entire idea is that these are two quote unquote regular people. And Michelle Pfeiffer is obviously one of the most beautiful people yeah. to, to ever be on screen. Like we were kind of joking about it. We were like almost hard to take seriously. She's so pretty, um, you know, cause we, we watched after this, we watched a trailer to seven years in Tibet, the early Brad Pitt movie. And both of us were like, He's too pretty to take seriously. Yeah. He's just too pretty. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it, it took him till he was like 50 years old for everybody. Like, oh, he's a good actor. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like he needed to lose at least some of just his like immaculate look. Yeah. How can, uh, how can, it's like, yeah. How how was this uh, hunk living in Tibet for seven years? Yeah, What's I know. He, this, and, and keeping his hair this fucking perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you know? How is he not like... <laughs> like hired by whatever the tibetan equivalent to tommy hill figure is 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like the Dalai Lama's like uh, clothing catalog needs a yeah. model. Luckily, we found this guy. <laughs> like, yeah, this photographer. I, I don't know the plot of that movie. I think yet. he's a mountain mountaineer. It's a weird oh. one. As we watched it in high school. Again, I don't. We've I've got a list of these. That one, Scent of a Woman, and I realized a river runs through it. I watched all of those in class in high school. Why? I don't know. Oh, so funny. I can't really um explain the purpose of any of that i mean i'm glad they're fine oh, yeah <laughs> you know i mean it was a good you know when you're in high school and you get a movie in class it's like cool we'll check it out i, I had a professor that would just sometimes be like eh, i don't feel like teaching we're gonna watch my fair lady yeah it's like there's like, <laughs> like I, I understood like when they like were doing an english class and they like jammed Boz lerman's romeo and juliet into the mix it's like well we are kind of doing shakespeare yeah <laughs> so, you know, as well yeah you know, and this is this this will definitely get kids to like pay attention in class this is a very popular movie right now <laughs> yeah oh i did uh i did uh i think i said this on the podcast already i am uh i got my spanish teacher to like let us watch you mean dupree once oh that's that's a that's a real win how do you say um two two E, what what is uh, oh I should know this. Uh, is, what is the Spanish translation? It's like two, 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 oh, me is my so <laughs> two yo e dupree. Two yo e dupree, yeah. Yeah. The bad the the sequel to Abla Canelia to E two Dupree. E two Mama Dupree. E two Mama Dupree. Yeah, Pedro Almodovar really dropped the ball uh, on that one. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. It's uh, Alfonso Coron directed Alfonso Cuaron. Time the end, but apologies, yes. uh, apologies to our Castilian listeners. Yeah, and, you know, we all we all can agree Almodovar is a king, so. Oh, he rules. I loved yeah. uh, watching, uh, watching, I, we saw talk to her in, in Spanish class, and uh, I will never forget just watching a, uh, a silent film within the film about a man shrinking to tiny size and then hugging each boob of his girlfriend. They had to make giant 40-foot boobs on the set, and then walking into a giant vagina. <laughs> Very... He, what a rock star, man. Oh, rules. That guy, just the, just the best. Can't wait for his new one. Yeah. Um, so, Michelle Pfeiffer is the emotionally scarred waitress, Frankie. Um, she's a little, you know, she's, you know, rough around the edges. All she really wants is a VCR. We get that. That's, that yeah. becomes very clear. She works at a diner. Uh, that is run by Hector Elizondo, who is, of course, um, Gary Marshall's like good luck charm actor, mm-hmm. who I like. He's also one. Of, he's also one of the guys in Taking a Pelham One Two Three. Not yeah. not a Gary Marshall movie, but a, certainly an Academy Academy favorite. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, there's all sorts of uh, neat characters who work at this. There's a set of waitresses. There's the Helen, who's older. Um, there is uh, Cora, who's uh, yeah, footloose and fancy free. She enjoys her life, but does she? Who knows? We'll find out. Um, and then there's Jane Morris, who plays Netta. <laughs> I love Netta. She <laughs> seems to have come from cranky space. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and she's like an SNL character popped into this real world absolutely fucking hilarious everything she does it's it's so funny i don't know if she actually worked at this diner that they decided to use as a set and just like yeah she could be in the movie too (laughs) like i don't know like she does not have a wikipedia page she's mysterious but we love her 
huge fans. Oh, man. And there's some really funny stuff happens. She tries to get a pie out of the pie machine. And for some reason, the pie machine that's spinning around a spinning rack just starts to go really fast. And <laughs> she, yeah. can't, she can't catch the pie. And it no. was a very funny gag. And, you know, and they have a great time there. They just have a great time. Everybody knows each other. But simultaneously, just getting out of jail is Johnny, played mm. by Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah, everyone a, loves in jail. Everyone loves just in he's, general. He's there's only, and Obviously, there's only one skeptic. And that's, of course, freaking Frankie, Michelle oh, Pfeiffer. But yeah. we, we know what this movie's called. He's um, like, who's this cad? Yeah, well, but he's not at all. He's you mm. know he's just a guy who went to jail. Listen, folks, he forged a check. No biggie, check fraud. But it yeah. was a biggie. He was in jail for eighteen months and lost his family while he was in there. Yeah, the life totally destroyed. <laughs> yeah, totally shattered life. He was totally. He was totally at that Yankee sting when they were getting yeah. people. Where, yeah. Was, yeah, Frank was, Keller absolutely arrested Johnny in the sting and. Yeah. Uh, and All it, it, Johnny wanted was Don Mattingly's autograph, and it just <laughs> went terribly <yeah>. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I want a scene with uh, Al Pacino as Johnny, and Al Pacino as Frank Keller, and Al Pacino, I, Johnny's like, hey, that's Phil, you know, people tell me I look like Phil Rizzuto. I wish that they had somehow involved, like... Somehow George Costanza, when he was working for the Yankees on Seinfeld, got involved in this sting as well. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, Costanza ends up in jail. Oh, yeah. Kramer's dragging him along. It's tickets. George, they're tickets to the see the New York Yankees. It it actually is a Seinfeld styled plot line. Now that I think about it, the entire thing of these cops trying to do a sting at like some fake event to meet the Yankees. That seem, does seem straight out of Seinfeld. Uh, um, yes. But while he was in jail, Johnny has learned to be just a tremendous short order cook. So <laughs> and he finds a real passion. I mean, he's as a as a chef. So he ends up taking a job at this diner. And man, is he boy, he is the talk of the diner. When he shows up, the the guys in the kitchen they love him. They want to wear a cool bandana, like he does. He goes in the alley and plays handball with the cops who are regulars there. Uh, Pacino doing sports <laughs> moment where <laughs> I love Pacino. He's so dedicated to his craft. Yet every mm-hmm. time he plays sports in any movie we've seen this far, it seems like it's the first time he's been handed the whatever sports items yeah. that he needs. <laughs> like, he's like, what is this? I don't know. But he also, like, I love the part in Jack and Joe where he talks about playing stickball as a kid because that's like the origin to every single Al Pacino character is that they played stickball in the streets of Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he somehow, somehow his like character grew up in like 1920s Brooklyn, even though he's he, like... He, he always grew up in like a tenement house in the Godfather Part 2 yes. <laughs> era. <laughs> he is 100%. Yeah, he's just uh, examining bell peppers like uh, yeah, like Helen and Sia Love. Like in a, he's, he's got to come in. For, he's got to come in for dinner. He's been playing stickball with the boys, the Dan yeah. kids all day, <laughs> drinking Royal Crown Cola and whatnot yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, and going to the picture show. <laughs> yeah, see, seeing that uh, that uh, picture of the train coming close to them. Hey, hold on, train. I, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. No- the old guy hit by a train there. <laughs> Hey, I almost got hit by a train here. What is this? 
Uh, yeah, so that's Johnny in a nutshell. Except for the fact that, weirdly enough, his wife, his ex-wife, and his kids both are like the, are like the waspiest people you've ever seen in your entire life. And I don't know how he ended up with them in the first place. Uh, at one point, he does go to bring gifts to his kids, which, uh, Patrick, you brought up. This is Johnny is kind of a best case scenario for a lion. In Scarecrow, yeah. to where he might end up. It, it gave me distinct Scarecrow vibes. I was wondering how many lamps he was bringing to his kids. Oh my god, yeah. There is like a dark version of this movie where like Gene Hackman comes out of the shadows. I know. He's like, yeah. Johnny, <laughs> not on, this short order it. cook. We're going to go finally get that car wash off the ground. Yeah, we're finally. I'm still working on it. I only need four more dollars to put in my shoe and then we'll be there. But it's gonna it's gonna take a cross country journey to earn four dollars. Yeah, we're going back to California, bud. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. Oh, don't, don't, Johnny, don't. Oh yeah, do not <laughs> follow start, him. You've started a new okay life. Yes, you have to pay prostitutes to spoon with you, but yeah. it could it could be worse. Watch yeah, the film Scarecrow. <laughs> don't worry, you're the little spoon, so you won't see the prostitute like look at her clock. Like, uh, I guess I got twenty more minutes of spoon time. Mm-hmm. But that, actually, that gets to this, like, I really loved in this movie, they do this part where they kind of show, like, what everyone is up to when yeah. they're like, going to bed or when they're asleep. And it just makes New York seem like this, like, the saddest, loneliest, most intimate place in this movie. And I really think it's a neat. I, this movie could have been so schmaltzy. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be. And I don't know if you watched the trailer to this. When they introduce Al Pacino in the trailer, like, and there's a new employee at the diner, it cuts to James Brown's I Feel Good and Al Pacino kind of dancing around the uh, grill, like, oh my God. shit. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I might have to do and a... It is not that, it is not that movie. I'll I might, it that to, way. I ha- might have to do a pure cinema co- podcast move here where, like, I might have to cut in the yeah. trailer. Just get the, just get the VO for that trailer. So everyone can get an idea of, like... Professor just stuck his hand up my skirt again. Okay. You poor old bump. At Nick's Apollo Cafe. It's business as usual. Thank you. I need scramble with bacon, two easy overs with sausage, and a Belgian waffle. Wow! I but somewhere between the hamburgers and the hash browns. Look at this guy, he's a hot dog. A cook with a hunger for life. Thy head is full of quarrels, like an egg is full of meat. William Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. Fell for a waitress. I'm asking you out with me tonight on a date. Just asked her out. Who's lost her taste for romance. I want to go out with you, that's all. No. N-O. Frankie? Johnny? Ooh, I just got goosebumps. Do you know that song? Frankie and Johnny! I'm going to back off, but i got to tell you something. Well, you know, I'd rather you didn't. i got a crush on you. Is that a life? Yeah, sure. Send out for a pizza, rent a film, that's dinner, and a movie. And I don't have to deal with some jerk trying to put his tongue in my ear. I love the way you swig. I feel like you're too needy for me. Oh, come on. What is that? Well, I mean, that I just mean? feel like you want everything that I am. She really likes this guy. When it comes to the question of love... Personally, I think we should be married. I definitely want to have kids. Get out! Some people won't take no 
for an answer. She's falling for me. How can I thank I'll handle him. Al Pacino. Michelle Pfeiffer. In a Gary Marshall film, Frankie and Johnny. We were a couple before we met. Yeah. Frankie and Johnny, the song. Didn't they end up killing each other? She killed him, so you got the edge there. How nightmarish. <laughs> like, when I first put this on, I was like, oh, this could be... Like, yeah. you know, I mean, God bless him, but Gary Marshall's kind of... um kind of mainstream romantic movie mm-hmm. well it seems kinda, like like i mean movies my mom would really be into mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of stuff and this movie is not that though this he this was his follow-up to pretty woman and i think he um i think this was a swing at something a little more legitimate in terms of kind of serious filmmaking mm-hmm. well, if you will i, I think like what I find fascinating about this film is it is like simultaneously a film about like uh, struggling against the uh, eventual uh, overall atomization of culture caused by late era capitalism, the sense of like over time you lose like your connections to everyone, the old neighborhoods are dying uh, everyone's uh, separate, you know, in the greatly demonstrated with Dante. Is it Dante Spinotti? The, the cinematographer? Yes. Yeah. Dante Spinotti's cinematography, where like he's showing, uh, you know, all the people in their own little, cu- you know, like the, the, the houses are almost like cubicles, it feels like. It feels like everyone is just like separated. And, uh, but then there's also like this strain of like uh, positivity, but not schmaltzy positivity, where like, Gary Marshall feels like his like one of his thesis statements is this film is like, yes, this is like a crazy New York. And, you know, it's not like the old days, but there's still hope. Like all these disparate people working at this diner can be the family that they all are lacking in one way or another through the traditional Mm -hmm. means. And it's like and it's also like surprisingly very like um, open to different things. Like, it's never, like, you know, I mean, it's a little, the the Tim character is a little uh, uh, antiquated at this point, but it's a surprisingly positive portrayal. And there's also a character played by Glenn uh, Plummer, who's like, oh, I can't remember if he's a side guy, uh, a cook. He's a, he's a busboy. He's a busboy, yes. But he gets, yeah. like, to sell, like, a script. And it's wild that they choose, like, uh, like a person of color, like a black person to, like that's like a kind of a, a that threw me for and they a go to like a really cool like new wave party at his house to celebrate it and everybody goes and they dance and they have a really good time it's just um it's very nice it was like you're right was, you're yeah. right though like the community that's built in this movie like like there's even this thing that's alluded to when hector elizondo finds out that johnny and frankie have started to like see each other like oh is he gonna get into the mix he's like no he's not gonna he's gonna you know it's not ruining his business and they're together and you know these and all of the people in this movie like it does this really terrific this so the older waitress helen character it's really kind of like jarring and sad like she gets sick at the top of the movie and then she dies about like Mm -hmm. 20 minutes in and they go to the funeral and it's kind of the first sign we get that johnny's a different kind of guy he goes to the funeral after meeting her on one day and he cries at the funeral Mm -hmm. which frankie finds a little but one thing i want to say about this that compared to actually the next movie we're going to talk about is that this movie does have like a lot of like 
oh, this is the reason why I am who I am, kind of like backstory, kind of like heavy drama backstory kind of stuff. But it comes out in this movie in so much more of an organic way than Danny Collins um, in terms of like who these people are. And it doesn't like it's part of them rather than it's like their character thing. Like Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't reveal kind of like or Frankie does not reveal what has like made her so um, scarred and kind of incapable of intimacy until the last like 20 minutes of the movie. But it's a really wonderful little scene that's played really, really well. And, it, you know, it's definitely her movie. I will say that overall, too. Like it's Michelle Pfeiffer's. This is yeah. a Michelle Pfeiffer joint. This is not necessarily Al Pacino's great. He's wonderful. He's very charming. I think this movie and actually all three of these, I think, really like are a good example of like his movie star qualities. Like he's fun. He's a good hang. Yeah. He's, he's enjoyable to be around. He's got a charm to him. It's so funny, too, because, like, even, like, in to go back to see a love a little bit, he's, like, the ultimate schlub in that on one hand. But there are so many moments. It's, sometimes it's hard to, like, at least in this stage in his career, to believe that he is, like, the ultimate schlub because mm-hmm. there are just – he's he's having so much fun and so many people seem to authentically like him in his, in Good, his presence. John Goodman is having, like, the best time. Yeah. Him. They're, like, <laughs> all always laughing and, like – joyous and like it's very like and like it's very uh it's yeah there's nothing uh even though what they're doing like all the grimness is like has to be uh, interpreted through subtext like when you realize what they're doing is like you know uh destructive and uh the things around their lives are destructive like mm-hmm. it's very yeah it's so um but, but it's the, just yeah i you know this this movie though this is a very optimistic movie I think at the end yes. of the day. And that was, that was one other thing that made it like when it was over, I was just like, that was nice. I enjoyed watching that movie. Like it was a good time. Another movie, like the hour and eight, 118 minutes just kind of cruised for me. I enjoy, I just enjoyed being in this universe, in this world. Marshall did an excellent job of kind of creating a very specific place in this diner and kind of the apartments that they live in, like you mentioned and giving them, making them feel like these very like lived in, places like the sense of yeah the sense of geography was so nice in this in these films and you know one thing i did want to mention too this one was um two years after sea of love what came between sea of love and this were the belated local stigmatic release and then the two bigger releases were dick tracy and the godfather three came between sea of love and this movie but i think again kind of go back to it i think he He's like leaning in on trying to be a movie star a lot more than he did in the 70s and 80s in these movies. And trying to be like likable, maybe. Yeah, it is like, um, well, it's like very, um, there's like a brief, it's so interesting that um, his character, there's like a simultaneously, you know, a deep hurt that is seen, you know, throughout that gets shown. Uh, as the film progresses but then there's also just such an a pleasant ble- breeziness to him all of his like interactions are fun like it's very um it's very crowd pleasing yeah it is it, it and him and uh pfeiffer have really nice chemistry mm-hmm. together too it's just i like i i was surprised and the trailer had me very scared but i found this to be a um a very enjoyable 
movie. I uh, didn't mention before, budgeted at $29 million, made $67 million at the box office. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was nominated for a um, Gigi for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy, but lost to Bed Midler. So no. look out there. Oh, no. no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I, I, I think this is, a, I, this is a nice little movie. Um, you know, somebody, I, I was reading somebody, it has a 66%. Mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it definitely, I don't know, have you ever seen Marty with Ernest Borgnine? I actually have not. Okay, that's like a, like kind of similar kind of like New York, regular folks trying to find love and make it in the city kind of movie. And one best picture and best film at the Cannes Film Festival. I think that and Parasite are like the only two to ever have that happen. Um but one thing that did cross my mind while I was watching this was um, I was kind of surprised that Mike Nichols didn't direct this movie. Mm. Like It feels like that era of Mike Nichols type film to me. And I wonder if Meryl Streep had played Frankie, oh. if the film would have had the reviews would have been different. Even though Michelle Pfeiffer is really, really good in the movie. I think she's terrific and I wouldn't replace her. But I'm just curious, like, if you had it. Pacino Streep in a Mike Nichols movie with the same script, basically, you know, would it have been a little more well-received because Gary Marshall wasn't known as being like a tourist. He was more of a crowd pleaser type actor, uh, director. I think there would be some noticeable differences. I do think that like, yeah, Meryl probably could have gotten like an Oscar nom out of it. Yeah. I think the movie also, I feel like Gary Marshall... There's like a sentimentality to Gary Marshall that actually benefits this film, weirdly enough. It dulls it in a way that's actually, I appreciate. Like, I like how positive it is. Especially, like, it's a nice, like, pick-me-up after watching Sea of Love. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, one, um, I also think that, like, perhaps there'd be a little more nuance. Like, there's a very, like, this movie feels very old-fashioned and very nostalgic, for like a, an earlier time, mm-hmm. you even see that a bit with Al Pacino's character. Like, there's like a, like, there's like a very like uh, he just feels like old school because like I think like the way that like he's like asking her out too like over. Well, it's and over very again. again. It's very like stickball with the boys. Oh, it's super stickball. It's very like yeah. Well, it's like and they have that scene too with like all those old people in the diner where it's like you know things were different. But then what's interesting is like. Uh, it, it's reverent for the past, but it's also optimistic about the future because, like, mm-hmm. the old guy at the diner's like, you know, uh, my daughter in law wants to call me her, wants me to call her miss, and I'll do that because I love my, I want to see my grandkids. Like, there's like this, uh, this, there's like this acceptance of the modern. Yeah, it, it takes a second, like, even when Al Pacino <laughs> finds out that Nathan Lane's gay, he's like, at first, like, oh. Okay, go. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and it's not. It's funny because like it's so. On one hand, it's very like you know. I think it's both old. Of the, yeah. It's old fat. It's oh, it it's definitely wouldn't fat. fly now. now but at this in in like a 1991, I'm sure because I mean, there's even a part where like they show Nathan Lane spooning with his boyfriend in bed, and, like when they're doing those uh, montages. Oh, the of the oh sleep, that shit's so good. The sleeping scene, and it. But I don't like. I can't think of very many movies that were just so matter of fact in making that that kind of image 
just every day. That is like that is earlier than this. Man, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, no, that's like that is so funny. I can't think of that many. Like even today, they don't do. Well, here's the thing: today, that shit, they put it in there as like a kind of a cursory thing, and then mm-hmm. they like will cut it out for the international release. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> but this, but this, yeah, because this one just makes everyone, everyone in this movie is just trying to get by. Yeah, that's it's hopeful. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, they're nobody's gonna do anything extraordinary. No. That's like the neat thing. These are these are not superheroes. These are like, like I think that's why people were a little concerned about two huge movie stars playing these two lead parts because it probably should have been unknowns or a little bit more like regularly kind of folks rather than like glamorous movie stars playing these two roles because that that's the vibe. Of this yeah. entire movie. When you said F. Murray Abraham and Kathy Bates played uh, the two leads, I really want to see that version of mm-hmm. uh, the movie or the play. I want to see like because like I I can imagine how Kathy Bates plays it. F. Murray Abraham to me uh, always comes off as such an erudite individual yeah. that like I I cannot uh, I want to see his. But then we've seen him play. Uh, rough and tough people in earlier roles like Scarface, I mean, Scarface, yeah, yeah. So like it's he can clearly do it. Um, he's a, you know he's a great actor. I think yeah. you know, but I mean, but these two, I think that's why this movie worked for me is that these two are great actors. Oh, totally, they you sell just, it. You get through it. It's it's. Yeah. I liked it. I mean, it's again, it's like Sea Love. It's I mean, it's not Dog Day Afternoon. It's not Godfather no, Two. I mean, it's it's not a classic or anything like that. But it's it's like there are far worse ways to like hang out and enjoy an evening in you know with. Like, like Frankie would say, with my VCR and a glass of wine, order some pizza. I'll, I'll take a look at Frankie and Johnny. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at, uh, I'm looking at Gary uh, Marshall's uh, filmography, hashtag the two screen lifestyle. And uh, no, I've got that happening right now too, my man. Ooh, don't you love that two screen lifestyle? It's so Boy. good uh, having those two screens. But uh, the greatest hashtag. The, oh, the, the only the finest hash, a decadent, mm. opulent hashtag. But uh, I'll have another one of those hashtags. <laughs> yes, please. yes. Mm, another screen. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> let me put on. <laughs> let me put on my bib. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I looked at his filmography too, and this is. I think this movie's definitely like this or Pretty Woman or his two like <sighs> most like he didn't do a ton of like swings that like. It seems like he a gave... little like weightier content, I guess, for lack yeah. of a better term. I mean, this, you know, we're looking at Overboard. We're looking at the other sister, Runaway Bride, The Princess Diaries, one yeah. and two. Um, oh man, Valentine's uh, Day, New Year's Eve, and Mother's Day, of course, closed out Gary's career. And yeah. uh, obviously, for us comedy fans, mostly what we know of him is Paul F. Tompkins' impersonation of him on Comedy Bang Bang, which is delightful. <laughs> which by is the way. great. Yeah, he's yeah, charming. Like, and and PFT is doing it out of love. Oh, it's <laughs> you, totally you, a sincere. Yeah, it's it not rules. a mockery. It's very fun, and it's just it, that, which is what makes it so fun. <laughs> I'm sure if you're listening to us, you've probably heard it. We don't need to tell you about. Oh it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh man, watch the yeah, the one where uh, he you find out Gary Marshall's like an alien from another planet. Very good. Um, yeah, the stuff he did with Jillian Jacobs, really funny stuff. Uh, yeah, but um, but uh, yeah, I would say if I was gonna make a, a, a Mount Marshall more and put like this is this is definitely a hundred percent on Mount Marshall more. It's like yeah, it's really like it's Frankie and Johnny, Pretty Woman, 
and then yeah, I guess like maybe Beaches is up there. Probably Beaches. I mean, his television work, he did some pretty monument. I mean, you know, we're talking Happy Days. We're talking Liver yeah. and Shirley. We're talking Mork and Mindy. I mean, um, you know, pretty noteworthy. I mean, this guy is successful. Like yeah, he's the super odd famous. couple. He's super duper successful. He yeah. understood audiences way better than I ever will. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, oh yeah, good, for, yeah, yeah. He he had a great career. It, it might not, you know, he's not Paul Thomas Anderson, but you know, oh well. Yeah. You know, there's well, there's it's like it's like there's room for it's in the same way that there's room for uh there's room to like and appreciate uh Nancy Myers' oeuvre. Or uh, hey, you can be a Suicide Squad fan and an Irishman fan. Uh oh. Uh, oh no. <laughs> Uh, uh, don't you're gonna get the haters on us oh no oh no release whatever cut we want this week oh no back on their side oh no i just uh next to me off screen is uh james gunn's brother sean gunn oh no he has a baseball bat he's saying get you you don't you can't get rid of my don't take my nut away from me don't take my uh my money don't 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 question the gun yeah um, that's my bread and butter you're dealing you're talking to about that's what yeah no 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 opinions there <laughs> no opinions no opinions no opinions but yeah i think like there's a place for everything and i i but i do miss like you know both frankie and johnny and Cia love really are like key late 80s early 90s styled movies and i realize and it's probably because i grew up yeah you know, i was like 9, 10, 11, 12 years old in this time period. So these were the kind of movies that like my parents were renting and they were on in the background and I was kind of just discovering, oh, that's what adults do. So there is kind of like a golden age of like nostalgia feel, but I do like the, um, and we're going to get to this in a moment with the next film, the pacing of both this and Sea of Love is just more in my wheelhouse than modern pacing, mm-hmm. I think when it comes to movies like i like the way that both these movies have these like lived in moments like you brought up the um the scene with william hickey where they're trying to write the poem in sea of love i think that in a modern movie they would just have the poem and it would never be shown to them trying to write a stupid poem like it would just be like we did it we're moving on because the main plots with this um the sting operation that is but like that, having them write the poem these drunk cops you're like i know them better now i like them more this is a telling scene and you get a ton of that in frankie and johnny too yeah like these films have uh, these films uh demonst- demonstrate the the necessity for texture yeah like you need like to be able a great to way like, of putting it yeah like it's like so many films nowadays feel so like uh uh glossy and and uh, and smooth like it feels like uh, like it's like watching a modern movie is kind of like eating at a chipotle where everything is like fucking chrome and clean and you know it's only the right the the necessary and amount of metal needed plot affectations are serving instead of like actual character development yeah and you lose the love in the process well they become um, empty sterile like, i mean that's what you're saying about the texture though you can like all, like we mentioned now pacino's crappy apartment in um sea of love he's got an equally crappy apartment in frankie and johnny and it's great 
Like all of them, like, why on earth does Michelle Pfeiffer have a Club Med poster up in her apartment? Who cares? It's great. It's a it wonderful, rules. weird touch. <laughs> you know, like it, it, that, that's well, that's also why, like, whenever you see little hints of texture like that in movies, like people nowadays, like that will get because like if Frankie and Johnny was like released today, that that would have been memeified. That like yeah. that Club Med. Because like yeah, I think about how like um God, that fifty shades of gray. I think it was like the, either the second one or the third one where like one of the characters, I think like Julian Gray inex- inexplicably, inexplicably has a poster for Chronicles of Riddick in his room. That's badass. Oh, it rules. It slaps. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like as silly as that is. And it's like, it's also like, why does this guy have a, I look like, you want to know that's, more. Like, yeah, I know. But that's what makes it exciting and fun like that if that movie had like a ton of chronicles of riddick poster moments in it i've never seen it i probably would have seen it i would have i would have 100 if like halfway through the movie you find out that the julian gray you you go into like you think you're entering his pleasure dungeon i don't know anything about the movie yeah i know that's like there's like he has like pleasure dungeon or something you think it's like but the no it's like a pitch black Chronicles yeah. of Riddick. He's a huge, he's a huge Vin Diesel as well. Chronicles yeah, it's of like fan. it's about a guy who's like a sex freak who's also really into the cinematic universe of Vin Diesel. Those are yes. his two passions, and they're competing with. You. That's a movie to me. Oh <laughs> man, that's so much. That's so that's so good. He's like, after we whip each other, do you want to watch Triple X Part Two? <laughs> yeah. Now here's the here's the thing. Triple uh, X isn't in this movie till the very end when he gets yeah. a cameo. His name is like Xander Cage, or, I think. Oh in that god. Movie. Oh, Triple X, the first trip. We ever do a Vin Diesel. Uh, he rules. We are um, pro Vin. Oh, in yeah. the Rock versus Vin Diesel feud, the Academy Academy endorses Vin Diesel. Oh, absolutely! Hell yeah, with a bullet. <laughs> He's the cool uh, one. He's yeah. no phony. I've already said. I've already said, and probably drawn the ire of uh, dozens of people for saying I'm not like a huge uh, like I like The Rock a lot, but I think he can be a little like I. I said I that a, I like. I, he seems inauthentic to me. Yeah. These days, like he I, used to be a little bit more so, but I, he doesn't. He feels like everything's so calculated. Here, here's my take. Bring back early 2000s era rock. Yeah, like, like the rundown it, or oh, the Walking Tall remake. That shit slapped. That yeah. shit's good. Give me that rock. I don't need a. Although I do want to see uh, the rock wear his silly little hat in Jungle Cruise. I, I kinda... saw um, driving around. They have the individual character posters for Jungle Cruise, and I thought of you. And I saw the Paul Giamatti has his own character poster. That. <laughs> like, oh, that's so good. There's that... Patrick's dude. <laughs> yeah, that's my boy. Oh, okay. On the did subject... you see he's uh, he lost all the weight and he has no beard now? No. On uh, Billions, this new season, he's like he's cut down weight. And he got rid of his beard. And it's a trim Chuck Rhodes. Oh, my God. I want, please, the next season of Billions after this. Give me a It's Always Sunny style rip yeah. Paul G. I want a cut. It would, be, it would be funny if he still got cooked by Bobby Axe Axelrod <laughs> even after he loses the weight chase. <laughs> <laughs> How am I being cooked? Yeah, I know. Bobby Axe Axelrod shows up in his... Uh, Metallica too. She was like, "Come on, guys, we're gonna go get Chuck Rhodes again." Uh, man, uh, we love Damian Lewis and Paul we Damian. love billions. We're billions heads. We're billions head. We're freaks for the billions. Freaks for billions. But let's finish up with Frankie and Johnny here because we got to get to the main event. Yeah, because then we, uh, we also talk about inexplicable posters momentarily. The um, both uh, C11 Frankie and Johnny also have a theme song. Yes, 
uh, which which another '90s thing that needs to be brought back. I know mm-hmm. Pineapple Express tried it with having hiring Huey Lewis to write a song called Pineapple Express, which I fully endorse. Oh, I yeah. love it, That's and I funny. think more movie more movies should have theme songs about the movie. It's funny that uh, it's like yeah, that movie has a theme song, and yet everyone associates Pineapple Express with paper planes because of the uh, the M MA, the MIA song, the trailer, oh, yeah. Highland Plains, yeah. Yeah, the trailer, which was yeah. a good. Yeah, it was good. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if you got Huey Lewis in the in the in in the chamber, you, oh, fired, you fired some Huey Lewis. In yeah, the you can't. You can't. You got. Yeah. M.I.A. is great. Oh, is he, is he bringing the news? Even better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think like much like See You Love, Frankie and Johnny, um, not too bad. I enjoyed it. Another oh. um, another trick about Pacino's sleeve. And he's good in the movie. He does star stuff. He gets some moments that are fun. He gets to dance. He gets to play sports. Um, you know, I don't think he's, again, the complications that we saw his characters have in the in the 70s oeuvre are a little bit weightier, you know, a little bit deeper. And maybe, you know, now that he's in his 50s, he's 51. By the time he did Frankie and Johnny, harder to get there, you know? He's just enjoying being a movie star now, but he's such an enjoyable presence as a movie star. But this next one was new to me. Mm. This one came out in 2015. We've alluded to it a bit already. Because I think much like in the uh, Geely, Jack and Jill, Dick Tracy episode, there was one movie. That I think kind of stuck out that, in our, uh, in our uh, text uh, chain that we, you know, when a movie is just purely enjoyable, like Frankie and Johnny or Sea of Love or Dick Tracy even, they're nice and there's things to say. But when there's a weird one, when, when, <laughs> when you get hit hard yes. with a movie like 2015's Danny Collins, written and directed by Dan Fogelman, and he is also the creator and mastermind behind This Is Us keep that in mind throughout this entire conversation yes. uh budgeted at 10 million made 10.8 million uh this movie has also got in it annette benning jennifer garner bobby cannavale christopher Plummer, nick offerman um who's the kid nikki josh uh, peck, josh peck yeah who i think josh. is uh one of these guys who emerged as a child star after i stopped caring about child stars uh, well, so he was he was new to me in this movie but evidently he's quite famous yeah i mean uh, like yeah he was like by the time he was starring in jake and drake and josh uh like i was already too old for that stuff and then he uh I remember he kind of tried to pivot like he made a pivot towards like uh you know i'm gonna be a real actor with the whackness oh why he's he's playing turner in the disney plus turner and hooch television (laughs) series reboot boy we we, the halcyon era of um of entertainment right now aren't we (laughs) Uh, you know what all i can say is you know get that nut buddy get that get that money get that paper you know i'm old Uh, enough to remember when the people who were involved in the original turner and hooch were embarrassed to be involved in the original turner uh i can I tell you something, Don? I drove Lyft. I was driving a lot of Lyft last week. Just you, so you, drove, you drove Hooch, and he was an asshole. <laughs> he was, yeah, total dick. Yeah, Hooch yeah. didn't tip. What a Dude, boy, total celebrity. Totally, he yeah. uh, he really like superstar treated you, and it just wasn't cool. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Total joke. But I was driving Lyft, and uh, uh, the worst drive I did, customer was nice, but I did a drive from like Burbank to LAX at 4:30, just peak Ugh. traffic. Oh, totally. In like my uh, foolish app, I followed my uh, followed my just my Incre- ways. Incredibly or relatable content to everyone oh. outside of Los Angeles. Oh yeah, incredibly. Oh, folks are just loving it. You yeah, know, they love it. hearing about. <laughs> traffic in LA. they love it they love it everyone's just uh so you're uh you're on your ways app oh yeah i'm on my ways app i'm driving through i'm on everyone's favorite street la brea and look what i see a huge poster or a billboard rather a huge billboard for turner and huge and it was my first time hearing about this disney plus and for some reason that was like the the straw that broke i felt myself like emotionally crumble I almost drove, like drove his car right into a CVS. I seriously, um, there was like a there was an abandoned Burger King. There was like a, a shut down Burger King, and I was like, I mean, I could like do this in a way that doesn't kill my passenger. <laughs> like, stop, stop at Taco Bell and order twenty five dollars worth of food because oh, it geez. doesn't matter. <laughs> oh God, it was just like a like. There's no. It was just truly like a moment where like. God might be dead. Like, nothing's real. Like, <laughs> we're all dust. Uh, we're getting to this point where they reboot. I mean, we're going to get a Danny Collins reboot in 10 years. <laughs> Who knows? Ugh, Hope not. Jeez. I mean, okay. Only if it stars Anthony and Polito. Yeah, as, it, like as the prequel. titular Danny Collins. So, oh, insane. If you, okay, so if you don't know the story of this movie, uh, aging 1970s rocker Danny Collins is a hard living guy. He's still living, he's still doing it. He's got a lot of money, he's living his life. Um, This is hard to explain because the way this story turns on a dime on what matters is hard to like. What matters at the top of this movie in Danny Collins' life to get him started on his change does not matter at all at the end of this movie. So, yeah. oh, and also just keep in mind that in this world, Danny, Coll- it's like Metalocalypse, where inex- inexplicably a metal band is the most popular. Like everyone knows who Danny Collins is. Danny he's, Collins is like he's like Bob Dylan crossed with Michael Jackson in terms of popularity. Except he sounds like sub, like sub Tom Jones or oh or God. Neil Diamond. Like not it a does, crooner uh, as a rock. As a classic rock enthusiast and his, and uh, amateur historian, none of his story makes a lick of fucking sense. No. So how does he go from being in the 1970s when the folk rock movement was already kind of like moving on <laughs> to something else? It would have been like Inside Lewin Davis era if you really wanted to like – if you want to actually a real movie about that era, watch Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> but um, – it doesn't make sense how he went from being this folk rocker who was admired by John Lennon to this cheesy ass, like sub Vegas singer who's inexplicably also super duper popular. And he's like Tom Jones or Neil Diamond, but and I mean, I think Neil Diamond is the closest proximity yeah. to him. But I also don't believe for a second. And in terms of the career wise, Neil Diamond was already different points in his career one-to-one uh, john lennon so this the entire crux of this thing is that uh danny's Ugh. manager who frank grubman frank grubman played by the great christopher Plummer, <laughs> yes uh, for gives, gives danny this 40 year old undelivered letter that god only knows how he found it or where where the fuck it came from it doesn't matter that yeah. is a letter that john lennon wrote to danny collins after reading an article 
about Danny Collins in this fake Rolling Stone magazine that Nick Offerman doing a sub Philip Seymour Hoffman and almost famous impression works for in a flashback. Oh, wow. Yeah. Out of breath describing just that. That's our first 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Also the gall of Dan Fogelman to be like, yes, my character, Danny Collins is of course beloved by John Lennon. Well, and okay. So (laughs) then what we will cut to the end it's all this weird true story that it has nothing to do with anything at all. It's just like Dan Fogelman read one story about a guy who had a letter to a folk singer who had uh, found out there was a misdelivered letter from fan letter from John Lennon that he didn't get. And that's the entire impetus for this movie. Like none of the rest of this is a true story at all. Then. So Danny, after reading the letter decides, wait a second, I'm done. What is his, his, his song? Hey baby doll, which Al Pacino sings. And it's a fucking nightmare. It's so bad. It sucks so it hard. It sucks. And everyone, all these older ladies, like, love it so much. They're always, like, very robotically waving their hands. It's clear it's, like, supposed to be Sweet Caroline is, is the impression that I get from it. Yeah. Oh, but totally. Sweet Caroline is, like, this makes Sweet Caroline the greatest song ever written, comparatively. <laughs> Sweet Caroline look like and, the fucking ring and, cycle. And obviously, Al Pacino is an actor of great talents and skills and many things. Yeah. So he, there's a reason he's never, but like, he's not Meryl Streep. No. When it comes to the singing, you know, he, you know, if he had been in Mamma Mia, there probably would have been some laughs in the same vein that Pierce Brosnan got some laughs yeah, like about Al's singing abilities. It. Yeah, he would. Yeah. Well, because Al is vacant. And I want to get this clear. Al's very charming as Danny in this movie. He's very fun and he's having a good time. It's not a it's not a role that Al's had, in my opinion. Although you said you thought it was the closest thing. Closest proximity is the Al, is playing Al Pacino in Jack and Jill. I think it well, and I think it's, it might just be like a matter of age, but I think there's also like this weird heightened sense of like like Al Pacino is great. And here's my take: I like Al Pacino in Jack and Jill. I think he's me too. He, I think he's he, funny. Yeah, I think he's doing that, and I think he's like tapping into that same well of just like I'm gonna be really wacky and like over yeah. the top, and let and let's see if I can like let's see how close to Beetlejuice I can dress like. <laughs> Let's have a let's see if I can can he does. There is a suit that legit just looks like the fucking Beetlejuice suit that he wears. It's like it's like the Don't final mind suit if he I wears. do. Oh man. Also similar another similarity to Jack and Jill is the brazen uh marketing or advert like like the Hilton gets name dropped so much. Yeah. Apparently the Hilton is like the best place on earth. All right, so I'm gonna cruise through this real quick here, and then we can cruise talk it. about these individual moments. Um Danny quits his tour. He moves to a Hilton hotel in New Jersey to be closer to his grown son, Tom Donnelly, who he's never met. Large he had son. A, he's his large adult son, Tom Donnelly, <laughs> played by Bobby Cannavale, um, who is married to Samantha, played by Jennifer Garner, and they have a seven-year-old daughter who is named Hope. I'm going to run through a few attributes about these three people right now. Real quick, like, after I go through the rest of the story of the movie, we'll let this sink in. Tom is a construction worker, but also secretly has a rare form of leukemia that he might be dying of. Samantha, his wife, is a housewife who seems pleasant, but is having a very difficult pregnancy that leaves her at bed rest by the end of the movie. And their seven-year-old daughter, Hope, is known not just precocious, but has a high-level ADHD. Everybody's got a thing. 
So. And the way they talk about her ADHD in hushed tones is it it's like it's like she has leukemia. There or is like... a subplot where they go to some cultish school to that Danny is going to pay for yeah. for her uh, with Colonel Kurtz. <laughs> I forget his name. His name was Mr. Kurtz. Was like, <laughs> it's like Marlon Brando leading a cult <laughs> at the end of Apocalypse Now. That's nah, the dude from Jag. Nice try. Yeah. And who like tries to be funny, but I would be like, get my kid out of here. This guy's a freak. Oh, <laughs> the school sucks. It all sucks. Yeah, they're gonna learn climbing ladders. <laughs> it's insane. Are they training for the Hunger Games? What the fuck is happening? You're gonna learn how Apple computers work, and you're gonna learn how at Jungle Gym you do all the moves. Yeah, uh, you're gonna become the next end, like end this game. But yeah, as you would expect, Danny tries to reconnect with his family, become more of like a regular guy, not just a rock star. Uh, he meets Mary, who is the manager of the hotel, who's played by completely wasted Annette Benning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there is a young woman, Jamie, who is the assistant there, who he's trying to sit up with the guy who parks his car, Nikki Ernst, who's played by the aforementioned Josh Peck. Um, and it just kind of gets wilder to the point where we thought when this movie started, it was going to be about an artist rediscovering what it meant to be an artist and maybe like writing songs. But what it turns into is a family drama and then a cancer drama. And the last like 20 minutes of this movie are all about Al and Bobby dealing with if Tom's going to die of leukemia. Where does this come from? Is this the epitome? Is this the ultimate hat-on-hat hat situation? Uh, it is just. Could like... any one of these things made for a fine ninety-five minute movie? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, like you half expect Christopher Plummer to be like, "Oh, uh, by the way, by the way, I have a rare, uh, fatal form of gout." That is. Yeah, <laughs> like. Or Jennifer Garner to reveal uh, there. I have another issue. I am. Um, I'm a yeah. war criminal. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was the lady that uh, put everyone in a human pyramid yeah, in or, the yeah, Iraq Chris, War. Christopher Plummer is like, um, I'm was, was the famous bank robber who disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You uh, know? Well, I forget his name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh man. Uh, yeah, it's just it could be it, everything is possible in this movie. It's like, and then at the end, like. They're like, there's only one cure for Bobby's leukemia, and it's on Mars. <laughs> we got to go to Mars as a family on this spaceship, and Jeff Bezos is the pilot. Uh, it, it, this is just crazy. And this movie, to get back to the two we talked about before, in particular, Frankie and Johnny, you don't need to be crazy to tell a human story. You just need to be human. And... <laughs> this is just a series of affectations that all these people do and you've cast a bunch of good actors in the hopes that it can kind of like you can fake it through but they can only do what they can do yeah and i think like my two favorite scenes in the movie the scene on the tour bus with bobby cannavale and al where they're just having a quiet conversation and then the final scene the final scene i thought was pretty effective in the film where they're waiting for Bobby's cancer diagnosis. But the weirdest thing about it is this movie I thought was about this letter from John Lennon 
like making music. <laughs> none of it matters. Like none of it matters. Like the entire jumping off point, the entire thing, this was based on a true story of he doesn't care about because he's getting into these like TV tropes, which like his show just hat on hat on hat of <sighs> issues and drama and plot and not okay you can easily make a movie about an artist who's sold out who wants to find themselves again there's one movie you could easily make a movie about a guy who's been a bad dad trying to reconnect with his adult son there's another movie you can easily just do a weird comedy at this hotel there's another movie like or you could do the can't the story about a dad nursing his son who he barely knows through a terrible health problem there's another movie these all don't need to be in the same fucking one hour and 107 minute movie yeah at all no i it's so funny i put this a little peek behind the curtain i put this on the that's almore i suggested this because i legitimately thought this was going to be a like rom-com between Al Pacino and Annette Bening. Like, you know, he's going to stay in this hotel. Annette Bening over time will, like, you know, grow to appreciate him. And, you know, they, despite their differences, they fall for each other. And That kind of happens, but not really. Not really. It, 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 it's, dry. it's actually, in some ways, I almost, I kind of, um, it's fascinating how dark this movie sometimes gets. It's afraid to go all the way there, though. Like understand oh, about the texture because like I had a friend once who told me he hated the movie Almost Famous because he's like, well, I can do it. I can tell you why I hated it in one sentence: not enough cocaine. Mm. In that era, they would have all been way more fucked up and way it would have been way darker and grosser. And if you want to make it truthful, this movie probably should have been way darker and grosser. But it also it's written by a guy who's very like this Fogelman. He's he's a, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to like play the strings. Like that's how why I was emotional at the end of this movie for no apparent reason. But no, there's no like like mention like what if the Safdie brothers had directed this movie? Oh man, uh, that would be such a different movie. Mm-hmm. That would be so insane. I would like it. I think they and I think here's the thing too: the Safdie but- brothers are better at juggling multiple plots in an entertaining way, uh, at least seemingly, than Dan Fogelman. Well, they have to relate to each other in some way. And Fogelman, it feels like in this movie, like, will start off on a run doing something and then just drop it because he gets interested in this other story or this other diversion or whatever. And then it's like, oh, the drama is not there. So, like, let's give them another... (laughs) You know, like we were, I mean, we were joking about like <laughs> Josh Peck's character. It's like, yeah. guess what? He's also an Iraq war veteran. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's just like continuing. It's like, we don't know the, like the drama is not built through situations. It's built through like character traits. And that's not really like mm-hmm. um, satisfying to me no. at least. No, it's very like, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? There's there's something uh, super uh, glossy about this film, and it's and it's, it's very it's way too slick. It's just way too slick. Yeah, and it's um trying to like, and I think here's my problem too is like, 
it's funny because like on one hand, Dan Fogelman is doing all these things. He has cocaine. He has all these, but he can't escape like that. And they curse and there's some nudity. So it's like, oh, it does have an R rating. Yeah. It's like... and, yeah. And, it, and it's funny because like in some levels, it's super grim too. Because there's that, the, spoiler alert, there's this crucial moment in the film where uh, Danny, you know, is going to supposed to sing the song, like his new song at this restaurant or not restaurant, at this bar where he's performing kind of like a, like a, not a dive bar. Well, he's just, he's trying to get to his roots. Yeah, like, this is like a place where like Ricky from Ricky and the Flash would be like super stoked. She'd be like, "Oh, we're performing it would be a, here." It would, it would be a really big gig for Ricky and the Flash, but not, but a very small big, yeah, a small gig for Danny Collins. Now, oh man, a Ricky Danny crossover. Oh, give it to me, give, give it, it, to me. Me. Because, give it to me, because the best part of this movie is Danny. Like Al's oh. fun. Al's yeah. really fun in this movie. Oh yeah, he's so. He's incredible. Uh, he's you say like, about the grim stuff. No, but club. like, but the thing is, like, he has this grim. Uh, he, you know, they, 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 he, they. On one hand, he's they're willing to like have Dan, uh, Danny Collins fail and like revert back to his old self and fall off the bandwagon and and snort cocaine again out of a cross, of course, of mm-hmm. uh, very, uh, very intense, but. Uh, uh, the thing is, is that Dan Fogelman cannot escape the schmaltziness. He can't escape. There's like, there's, there's still this like treacly, and it's treacly in a way that I do not personally enjoy. Because like Frankie and Johnny, that's a yeah. schmaltzy movie a little bit, but they do it in a way that feels personable and relatable. It the feels problem, a little more earned. Yeah. It's organic well, in the, how it goes. Dan, Danny never changes. Here's the thing. <laughs> Danny right. fucking stays the same, doesn't pay for anything, Gets to have the happy ending in the end. And, and, because and he, like, took notes at a one doctor's appointment. Yeah, well, it's also because he's, like, he has, like, trillions of dollars and will, like, <laughs> it's it's insane. Like, Oh, pot- it's so modern. That goes back to almost what you were saying about capitalism. It's like, Danny doesn't, there's no, Danny's fine. Yeah. Danny's going to be fine. All he has to do is go back on tour again and he can have his house with elevators and, like, Mercedes that he can give away. Yeah, and, and, like, wanted... and, and the sugar mama he can support or whatever. Like his weird, all that stuff with like Sophie was so weird. And like they had, and it's so frustrating. I hate it when a movie, they they feel like they have to make Sophie more of a bad guy to like make Danny seem slightly more uh, uh, like relatable or like, um, well, or they're like sympathetic. They want to try to make Danny because like you have Danny Collins marrying this like you know European supermodel essentially, and that's not a good optic. So the movie, there, the movie solution for that is ah uh, ah uh, ah. Uh, but the supermodel also does coke and is a uh, and uh, cheats on Danny frequently. So actually, yeah. it's it's fine. Yeah, if this were Al in the seventies, it would be like he'd be going on this crazy ass tour with all these people who are using him. Mm-hmm. He'd be drunk and high the entire time he'd end up in new jersey go to visit his son his son would slam the door in his face and then he would go do more coke and that would be the end of the movie <laughs> like you know and it would probably be a movie we'd all consider wonderful on a classic today yeah <laughs> but it, yeah it's um it's 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 afraid to go all the way there it's trying so many ways to desperately get you to connect through like a million different little 
moments and like pieces of drama that are all kind of like flung together. And it's very like, you know, in the same way that like TV shows just burn through plot, mm-hmm. just every week, something new and crazy is happening. They don't ever let anyone live in anything. Um, they're trying to do that in the span of like it, movies are a different beast where it's like you need just kind of one situation and you're studying a character how they're living through that situation and it doesn't have you know these aren't your friends who you're visiting on a weekly basis you don't need the viewers to come back for next week's episode dan so act accordingly like danny yeah, can be exactly. a piece of shit you know danny doesn't have to win and i'm sure al would be fine as we've learned through you know dozens of movies now al is fine with his characters not winning yeah but i also think al like probably liked playing a guy who's like this charming cad who just kind of does get away with shit <laughs> like, well, it rules think, and, it, and it's funny he, and there he's is... got a great energy he's got great energy as yeah Danny. and i love his i love his uh i love his like suits his crazy it might be oh. some of the craziest stuff he's ever worn look look of the week danny collins all the way through although uh christopher Plummer's hat uh, we should oh. mention too, Christopher Plummer is his manager and best friend, Frank Grubman. I think we've said God. that, but uh, his thing is he's a recovering alcoholic who Danny once gave a ride to rehab to while Danny himself was wasted. Yeah. It, Great it, story. It, while he's yep. delivering a piano. It's also Christopher Plummer is so like, his presence seems so scary in this movie. Sometimes it's, 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 like he's seen, yeah. even though he's like a good, like he's his friend and he's like the good, like there's a scene where like Danny uh, when Danny Collins reverts back to his old ways and everyone's like like laughing and you know going yeah Danny Collins and like Christopher Plummer is like sitting in the back like and it looks like he's kind of like nodding and it's like yes we're gonna get our money back yes dance puppets. he's not he's not though that's the thing it's like it he should be that he, he should have been a shitty asshole yes, manager yes. he should have been in it for the money and he should have fired Danny like we should have seen Danny hit more of a rock bottom. Let's have Danny lose his house. Let's have Danny run out of money. Yeah. Let's have Danny have to move in with Bobby Cannavale. I, like, yeah, I, I texted Don. I wanted this to be like a leaving Las Vegas where like, he just like gives up and like, just in uh, like him and this whole, and like, you know, like the hilt that held his, his suite in the Hilton is going to be his coffin. And it's about Annette, Annette Benning trying to get her him out of that coffin. But Annette Benning gets like virtually nothing. It's so frustrating. She's, she's yeah. so fun. And she's, and she's like, such a great actor. She's a great actor. And they're both like really cute together. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, they, like, you want to see an entire movie of just them. But. Yeah, exactly. Or like, or just an entire an entire movie of him hanging out with his large son. Or yeah. shit, an entire movie of him hanging out with the bus boy, or whatever. Because like, yeah. or breaking the- up, or breaking up the ADHD school's cult. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Ad- oh my god, the daughter. Like, I God bless. Like, you know, it's she can't adorable. just be precocious like every other fucking kid yeah. in these and, movies. Like, and it, yeah, and, well, it's also just like, yeah, she. She's too like wise beyond her years. Also, ADHD is like, god damn it! It's not like a stigmatized like people don't like throw paint on you for having. She does ADHD. not have. She does not have rare leukemia like yeah, her father. It, it's, yeah, it's like she's gonna be fine. Like Jesus yeah, Christ, never. But yeah, so this movie got a seventy-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think does go to show that critics are like. Mm-hmm. being much easier on things just in general yeah. like because because they're all paid by these studios 
not to be, you know, whatever. But uh, the cons- critical consensus was thanks to Al Pacino's stirring central performance and excellent work from esteemed supporting cast. Danny Collins manages to overcome its more predictable and heavy-handed moments to deliver a heartfelt tale of redemption, sort of. Um, a int- couple interesting um, casting things. The movie was originally titled Imagine. Uh, we should also mention they spent a fortune on getting... <laughs> a ton of john lennon songs for yeah this movie. Uh, must have just uh the lennon estate was probably thrilled with the check they got from danny collins yeah uh the original title of the movie was imagine the, the other thing too is like john lennon's presence is so peripheral mm-hmm. and meaningless like it's like i guess the instigating thing for danny's mm-hmm. journey but it has nothing to do with anything yeah he letter to Wynette benning at the end meaningless um also, originally, like, uh, they were looking at Steve Carell to play the Bobby Cannavale part. Oh, I, I almost like that more. And then um, Carell dropped. This was in 2010. Mm-hmm. Then in 2012, Carell had dropped out by that time. And Jeremy Renner was announced as the replacement. Whoa. And Julianne Moore in the Annette Benning part. Huh. Both were eventually replaced by Bobby Cannavale and Annette Benning. Uh, ultimately, maybe better... Bobby Cannavale makes still actually makes the most sense, maybe all of, out of all I think those. I think it's I think all that's fine. I think yeah. it's fine. Yeah, everybody's fine. But it, you you brought up an interesting point on our text feed, kind of about like the difference between this and some of these other ones. Like we've talked so much about like all of the supporting casts that work with Al Pacino. The people in this don't get that those again those like textured roles where they get to do like fun human stuff they're all kind of there to serve a purpose yeah serve like a plot point and like it it's it stinks there's no netas in this group no not and at all they, i yeah. wish there was some netas like what if annette benning's assistant was not a cute 20 something but rather like a real cranky like like coach from cheers or something like that yeah like yeah yeah <laughs> Like, yeah, Craig T. Nelson. That'd be yeah, great. That would yeah. rule. Yeah, like, yeah, like, what if this Hilton is weird? I mean, like, well, well, and here's the here's the twist. It's his character from Devil's Advocate. He just got out of prison. And then he's got to do, like, some, like, work, work release job at the Hilton. Yeah, I didn't kill my wife. Yeah, yeah it was the devil. It was the devil. <laughs> it was the devil. <laughs> I work for him. He looks a lot like Danny Collins. <laughs> Hear me out. He advocated for me. I swear. He's an attorney in this big place in New York. He's a swamp attorney. He's a... <laughs> <laughs> now he runs. A, he runs the ADHD school now. <laughs> oh my God! If Scott, if Scott Lawrence fucking like winked at the audience and he I... was. <laughs> Please. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. This movie's so, cl- like, we're talking the devil's advocate here. A movie so wild, so unwieldy. Yeah. So kind of messy. Like, yeah, I guess that's what's missing here. This movie's not messy. No. It's just, like, and it makes it feel lifeless, despite the fact that it's apparently about life. <laughs> and, yeah, it's just... <laughs> It's so, yeah, it's just, I mean, I'm going to remember stuff from Sea of Love and Frankie with Frankie and Johnny. If people bring those up, I'm going to say like, oh, they're fun. If they're like streaming on like Amazon or something, like check them out. They're, it's a nice time. I don't know if I, I mean, this one, 
this one didn't do it. I, I think Al Pacino is super fun. Mm-hmm. But this one just didn't do it for me. I'm glad we watched it. I'm very glad we watched it. But um, just did not do it for me. And again, I, I worry that I'm just like too in the zone when it comes to like, you know, give me me, comma, Natalie. <laughs> to bring it all back home over Danny Collins. I mean, like those 60s and 70s movies still like or even into the early 90s, the tone, the vibe, the rhythm, the way that they tell their stories, just I, yeah. it, there's something that there's something that in the cool modernity of these new movies that has been lost in kind of the like and have it and make like believing even for a second that your audience has patience, which yeah. I don't think that they believe in this movie at all. There's also why, just... like there's always a twist like and guess what, dad? I'm also really sick. I'm like, yeah. what? This is like an hour. Mind you, folks, this is an hour into the movie when he says, uh, like, oh, I'm really sick. What? I got this rare blood cancer. What? <laughs> it's, like- so, it's so nebulous. I can't, like, I guess it's cancer. But this movie was about songwriting. <laughs> like- yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, because we don't even, yeah, we don't even get to, like, the family until, like, 45 minutes. There's, like, a 45-minute. And you think it's like, oh, he's going to stay at this hotel. He's going to touch their lives. They're going to touch his lives. He's going to learn how to be an artist again. That, isn't, that doesn't matter at all. He's just back. He's just Danny Collins back on tour at the yeah. end of it. And his son might, may or may not be dying. Like, why? It is like a, it's a, it's like a set reset. It's like a world reset by the end. We're like, <sighs> yeah, nothing, like nothing. There were no stakes. Yeah. Danny Collins is back to his old ways. Like he doesn't like, yeah. He's he just kind of charmed them by never leaving. He, he charmed them by being rich. He paid for their yeah, like. I know, I know. Yeah, like, he just paid for cool shit for them. Yeah, and then, yeah. It, like Jennifer so, Garner's like, I know I'm not smooth, but yeah, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, <laughs> all like, the Toys R Us stuff. It's so crazy. See, that's the thing too. Is like, I'm not saying there aren't branding things in older films. Like you know, clearly there's there's probably like shots of Coke cans and Frank and Johnny and like. Sure. Uh, Frankie and Johnny and like uh, see a love. There's probably Club like, Med may have paid for that poster. That's yeah. Who wall. yeah? Who knows? But like, it's just like there's something about it's something because like in Jack and Jill, I'm fine with it because like it's Jack kind and- of played for like a crass joke in the yeah. Sandler movies. Like all the times he like he's literally winking at the camera. He's like, and you know, what I would really prefer a subway sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's like at least a tacit uh, acknowledgement of the the crass uh, commercialism in those films. But like with this, it's just like, well, cause this they... movie's not funny either. No. Well, it's like they linger on the Perrier bottle. They linger yeah. on fucking, but Hill, it's also like... because it can't like you, the second you see him drink the Perrier bottle and they show it once. You're like, Ugh. Oh, this is for a reason. And I are, I immediately assumed, Oh, he doesn't drink. There's some sort of issue there. And that of course was the thing. Yeah. But 100%. it's like, we're not stupid. We can, the audiences are not dumb. Yeah. Don't like, they're willing to go along with you if you give them a reason to. <laughs> like, basically. 100%. Also, i not going to lie. I legit thought he was going to hit him over the head with that Perrier bottle <laughs> at some point. Like, it seemed like the way that they, that character, just something about Christopher Plummer just reads. Wait, so, like, I love, uh, I, I mean, Thomas. he's, yeah. I, I mean, I, and all these actors in this movie are just too good. Oh, they're, like, yeah, they're you too know, good for, for it to be a complete like wash. But, it, you know, it's, you know, at, yeah. at worst, they don't register. 
uh, you know, to, I mean, to, you know, sum it up with this one, um, Al's great. The rest of this movie really was not for me. Yeah. I mean, we'll just put it that way. Like, I just, <laughs> it just didn't. But you might, you know, a lot of people seem to like it. A lot of people, you know, thought it was more of a gem than we did. So if you feel like giving it a shot, definitely go for it. We'd love to hear if you think we're total dum-dums when it comes to the Danny Collins uh, situation, the DCU. Yeah, the Danny Collins universe, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so next week, that was, uh, that was that's El More. Next week, we'll hopefully be back to... Uh, the regularly scheduled programming if we're not you know we might be watching city hall oh man for all, yeah, we, for all we know we, i feel <laughs> like uh, two bits to, city hall uh what other ones haven't we we have to watch revolution i think now. simone Just, like simone yeah at any of the ones the that we have at two for the money two for the money after i watched danny collins they're like you want to watch two for the money next and i was like kind of Maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i am like oh god we could just totally absolutely punish ourselves let us know folks if you do if you're really digging this or you're just like you guys are 70 percent of the way there take it home yeah finish take- watch them all watch every single one watch yeah, every single one of watch them every one. just <laughs> yeah po- poison your blood watch all these movies <laughs> you know if we really want to know al and we do we love him yeah. i guess to go back to where we started the show we love al we're willing to go down some mediocre roads with him and still have a good time. He's fun in all of these. Yeah. Uh, you know, to sum it up too, I, uh, but I'm also going to say none of these should have been in the tournament. No, not at all. These are all uh, minor Pacinos. May, I mean, Sea of Love is definitely the closest, if yeah. you ask me. I, but, I, yeah, you could probably uh, switch out. I could see, see, like, where I guess you would put that with, like, the Scarecrow, that bracket. Maybe, yeah, but yeah. I think um, I, I think Sea of Love is a is Sea of Love career wise career wise as a key Al Pacino movie. It symbolizes the start of his second wave. I mm-hmm. definitely definitely worth seeing. Frankie yeah. Johnny really a surprisingly strong fun movie, and uh, Danny Collins a very weird one that probably should have been a TV series or something like that. Yeah, and, I feel like maybe maybe been more satisfying. I have a question. Do you think Danny Collins is uh, silly enough to like? I was imagining if this would work in like a like a you're watching it at a party like a midnight movie setting where like we're all kind no. of doing, nah not enough <laughs> yeah second song is leukemia <laughs> yeah that's I true mean, yeah that's well although in the, in the room they do have that part where she's like I've got the cancer <laughs> yeah which is very this is very dear very Danny Collins <laughs> uh, yeah very Danny Collins yeah Danny Collins a lot of yeah Dan Fogelman cites Tommy Wiseau as one of his uh, yeah. key inspirations for this is us yeah oh well but you know next week we'll probably be. Uh, back to our regular scheduled programming. So I'll just leave you with this. Hey, baby doll. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus H, he still got it. That's Nick Offerman. <laughs> <Nick> Offer- <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even go his insane fucking performance in this movie. Oh, uh, we need you to come in and do some Nick Offerman things. Can you do that for us, Nick Offerman? I think so. I think yeah. so. <laughs> I can do the Nick Offerman voice. Yeah. Uh, can you can you come in? We don't need it much. Just we're gonna put a weird wig on you. Yeah. You're like a hippie <laughs> version of Nick Offerman. I can do that. Jesus H. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm gonna eat some all bacon. Right. Very fun time. Yeah. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Yeah.